I put up a Reconyx camera, but I used a little SD card that came with a camera that was 15 megabytes. So when I set it up, I so I drove th 13 hours. I set the camera up, drove 13 hours. Oh. And when I went back and checked the camera, I had three photos of my ass <laughs> and the card was full. So I set the camera up, walking out, it took three photos of my ass leaving and the card was the full. Card was full. Oh. So when I went back to check it, hilarious. But um, <laughs> Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Man, it's almost food plot season, Jared, and Deer Grow is one of those products that has really changed the way that we plant food plots and the success we've seen from them. No doubt. I've been, you know, trying to plant food plots my, my entire you know, whitetail hunting career, which is a little shorter than yours, but the minute that I started or that I, you know, I realized that I could get Deer Grow back into some of these remote plots where I couldn't get lime or fertilizer, especially in the 50-pound bag, you know, format, mm -hmm. so everything was changed. You know, I could get into these spots uh, moving forward with a, with a backpack sprayer, and that since escalated to these 40 or 60 uh, gallon sprayers and we're doing upwards of you know five to ten acre food plots just with your grow and having phenomenal success yeah and i mean with the price of fertilizer lime diesel everything this year i mean what better way to get in there and grow a successful food plot at about a third of the cost check out deer grow at deergrow.com and we're back hey you on our podcast episode 143 yeah i got another point three comment and we, I got an inch and a quarter last night. That's good growth. Oh, rain. Yeah. Yeah. Which was perfect timing. I was a little worried about cutting those clover plots last week. That was a risky move. But Yeah. It came uh, came from the north. They always do. Yeah. came from the north. Did you get some down at the Ohio farm? Uh, yeah. The Ohio farm got stuff. Kentucky did not. Home, obviously, did. I know I'm being finicky, Nick. Can I, just give me a little bit more. A little bit of more. everybody. Just give me a little more. Give me a little more. Somebody's been sitting in my... Podcast. You, uh, it's your. You, you have go. to. You have to say your piece. Oh, uh, as always, remember to like, follow, subscribe, YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please give us a follow. Mm -hmm. Appreciate you guys. I almost forgot about yeah. that. By the time this comes out, hopefully we have twenty k subs on YouTube. That's yeah. crazy. Thank you. Everyone. Appreciate. Yes. Yeah, appreciate the support from everyone. Good this coming out. Uh, I think Labor Day was yesterday. Yes. If we did this correctly. Jared and I will have been hunting by now. Got some last minute stuff in here. Pretty excited about it. Well, we just got bows yesterday. <laughs> new bows yesterday. Yeah, yeah. We shot our new RX-7s yesterday. Yeah. Got them sighted Which in. Which was the 23rd of August, just for reference. Yeah, we're all locked in. I mean, dude, it, honestly, it feels exactly like the RX-5, uh, except... It's like driving a new truck, mm -hmm. you know, how it's like, there was nothing wrong with, with no. the RX-5, but it's like a, smooth, something, crisp. About, something about a new bow. Yeah, it felt good. You know, and, and my thing, we were talking to Tim, our bow tech about it at Ultimate Outdoors, but I've been shooting my recurve a lot. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I don't know. I may even just start the season with my recurve in mm -hmm. Kentucky at least. Um, Cause I really got on it last year at the end of the season and been shooting it through the summer to where, I mean, it almost felt weird shooting my compound yesterday at the bow shop mm -hmm. just because I haven't, I haven't used a release, you know, I've been muscle memory and really, you know, it's just a completely different feel. I bet. Um, even last night when I got home, I slung like five arrows with my recurve before I went inside. Yeah. Probably weird going back and forth. Huh? If, I, if I did 10, I would probably would have been divorced. So just five. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was weird just back and back and forth on that. But, um, so yeah, now I've got to kind of mix that new bow in with the recurve stuff, but. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, if this is coming out September 5th, so we said. Yep. Yeah, uh, Kentucky's open. I mean, dude, if you're on the fence about it North now, Dakota's by, the end of, by the end of this podcast, I bet you'll be pretty well convinced to just take out the recurve. Yeah, we've got a pretty cool guest today. Yeah. Uh, so we've got Donnie Vincent on. Yep. And so Donnie's been gracious enough to come and talk with us. And, and obviously, you know, first of all, if anybody's not watched Rivers Divide, I probably watch it, I don't know, three, three times a year, four times a year. Maybe? Sure. It's just a cool story. Good one to circle back on. Well, it's that like that September time frame right now when this is dropping, like, you know, you're getting goosebumps, man. The weather's changing. In fact, it was like, like. 49 I or mean, 50 you, degrees. You better believe it. So I've got it downloaded. I'm going to be watching it on the plane as I'm flying out to North Dakota to hunt whitetails next week. Yeah. Cha-ching. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those pieces and that stories. And, and it, it, to me, it really documents a lot of the highs and lows of a bow hunter that we all have experienced sometime probably in our bow hunting career. If you haven't yet, you just haven't hunted long enough. It, it'll come. You know, you're going to have highs and lows of seasons for sure. Um, and I think that, you know, when you, when you kind of look at that style of things, you know, Donnie's films were, were probably some of the first really unique things that we saw in the industry. We kind of talked to your pre-podcast a little bit about hunting TV and what the, what the standard had been for like, you know, several years basically. And then all of a sudden that comes out and it's completely different, mm -hmm. you know, than almost anything that, that we'd seen before. So, you know, I think the, the cool part about it is, um, you know, I, and Donnie would tell he he, he made it because he just wanted to make it like he wanted to document that and and probably for respect to that deer as well. Sure, um, Steve, well, just passionate <laughs> about passionate about the you know the process, the story. Yeah, you know it's obviously um, and he's made quite a few films since then. Yeah, so not to stick on that one, but I think just uh, an embracing of the whole uh, you know the process of it's not just going out and, and killing a deer or harvesting an animal or, mm -hmm. or whatever the objective might be. Um, it's, it's an embracing of the entire process from, I know Donnie talks a lot about gear preparation and mm -hmm. just, you know, um, breaking down every little aspect of, you know, not like, oh, it's like, you know, I have to, you know, be in my sick of gear or my, whatever it is. It's just, how do I, uh, to the best of my ability, use, you know, the very best equipment, the things that are going to work the, the, you know, well together so that I can have a clean ethical mm -hmm. harvest and also enjoy the hunt, you know, and the experience, the adventure, like to its, to its fullest potential. Yeah. And I think slowing down and, and, and stepping back and also, you know, we talked a little bit pre-podcast as well about removing yourself from like the machine that is the hunting industry. That's like, oh, I have to have my, you know, mm -hmm. my lineup of equipment or, or mm -hmm. whatever it is. And just, and just, you know, doing what you feel is right, you know, doing what you think is going to give you the best possible experience, the best possible outcome. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and in Donnie's case, creating the best content, you know, possible. Well, I, Telling the best story. We've talked about it. I mean, we've got caught up in that machine. It's, it's almost impossible not to just because of, you know, you're surrounded by it. I mean, if you want to watch hunting stuff, whether it's on YouTube or whatever, yeah. it's just, it's everywhere. And so you, you get pulled into this machine and, you know, well, it's marketing. It's it, that's the that's the point is to it's to influence your opinion of things. So we, you know, mm -hmm. we're obviously consumers of you know you know when we see a commercial or whatever, some some cool piece of content somebody put out, we're influenced by well, that. You told me yesterday. We allow ourselves to be. You know, I want to be. You know, it's it's cool. We want to take that in. And you saw one. We we made like a little clip, a uh, little commercial for Hunter Specialties, mm -hmm. and you're like, hey, did you guys make? that hunter specialties one yeah. you're like yeah and you're like yeah caught my eye yeah. and it's just you know i can just appreciate the quality of production yeah so it's it's <laughs> it's weird how it's just it's always around and surrounding and i mean even the, you know the three of us obviously talking today is like there, there's an influence that comes from that mm -hmm. you know and people watching this thing and so it, it is a machine it's just you know 
and the machine's not bad in all cases. Mm-hmm. It's just find out like what you want to experience and I think really appreciate what we've got coming up here over the next three months or four months, which is the fall season and, and all it's for because we talk about all the time you blink and it's gone. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it'd be really cool and, and excited to have Donnie on and and uh, talk through some stuff. For all intents and purposes, and I mean, for, for us as of recently, it's here. You know what I mean? Like this is dropping. You know, I'm coming back from North Dakota at this point. I'll be coming back from Kentucky. That was a last minute trip and you've got Kentucky with the kids. And mm-hmm. so like, dude, September is... September's the month, you know what I mean? That's that's when anticipation is at the all-time high. You know, we're fortunate enough to, to you know, we've we got some early September stuff to mm-hmm. kind of just, you know, break the ice a little yep. bit as we're getting into it. But, you know, September's the month to, like, take a deep breath and just be ready for the next few months to come Grind. here. And it's, yeah, just just ride it out. Can't wait, man. Let it happen. Can't wait. Let's bring Donnie in. Appreciate you coming on, Donnie. Thanks for spending some time with us this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's uh, I really appreciate the time. Really appreciate being uh, being asked to. Well, man, it's you know we kind of talked there in that that intro. You know, this thing's gonna be dropping on September fifth, and you know it feels like all summer it's just kind of this grind and and this anticipation. You know that finally starts to break through in that that early September time frame. Um, it's it's anxiety ridden preparation. Is like how it feels for me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> get, get everything in order. Get everything ready. What what's your first uh, what's your first trip this year? Um, I mean, I have a couple of things that are on the docket, but my first big one, I have some uh, commercial filming trips that I have to go on in early September. Not not hunting stuff, but I am. Uh, uh, I think I'm spending a few days on Lake of the Woods mm. uh, in early September fishing muskies. Yeah, uh, with a good friend of mine and doing some fishing stuff and um, and then. But my first big one's at the end of September. Probably I'll go to Alaska probably September 22nd, and I'm hunting caribou on the Alaska Peninsula, uh, way down at the end of the peninsula. Something I've wanted to do basically my whole life, and and uh, there's really big bulls out there. It's really wild place, biggest bears in the world, and and uh maybe the worst weather in the world and so yeah. it's a really exhilarating place to to backpack and hike and hunt and so i'll be there probably for two weeks the end of september first week of october that's awesome man donnie just for we talked about this kind of pre-podcast cast that we're just this is kind of a discussion really to get to know you because we all haven't had a chance to talk before but um i've read somewhere is your background as a biologist it is Yep, in wildlife. It is. Interesting. Mine too, by yep. the way. <laughs> that, that's why I thought it was curious. Oh, right yeah. So where... where... Yeah, I worked as a biologist for uh, just a short time, a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, early, out of, early out of college, but then I quickly realized that that wasn't the game that I wanted to be in, so I, I switched it up. Gotcha, man. And where where was most of that experience at? In Alaska? Um, I did a project in Nepal studying Bengal tigers. I did a project in Bangladesh uh, studying Bengal tigers. I did a single year in northern Minnesota uh, helping a friend of mine finish his PhD studying rough grouse for the University of Minnesota. And then uh, I did four years or five years uh, working with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska, working in remote camps studying uh, salmon, doing a fecundity study. Very cool, man. And and is that the, at what point, I guess, um, did that like, I don't know, call it that kind of raw calling to, to be in that wilderness and backcountry kind of hit you? Was it before then? Um, or was it when you were kind of doing some of that biologist work? 
Oh, way before then. Yeah, since it's my earliest memory is that uh, my dad had a really cool book collection of hunting and fishing and and actually as, as odd as this might sound, he had a bunch of war books and books on Vietnam and, and the world wars. And, and for me, oddly enough, the, the war stuff and the wilderness stuff and the wilderness and kind of the survival of it all, it all kind of tied together for me. And so I would look at all these books and read all these books and, and, um, yeah, I've wanted to be in the wilderness my entire life. I wanted to be around grizzly bears and doll sheep and going to Alaska by, you know, train or boat or whatever. It's, it's all I've ever wanted to do. And, and that's kind of what I thought being a biologist was going to, you know, I was naive about it and mm-hmm. I didn't realize the academics of it. I didn't realize the politics of it. Um, people are fighting over dollars for salmon and people are, you know, the native corporations want things wide open because they're feeding their families and they're, you know, and they've lived that way 10,000 years. The sport fishermen want it open because everyone wants to catch a 30 inch rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want the rainbows being killed in gill nets and, and the, you know, the commercial fishermen want to make as much money as they can for their family and sell sockeyes to the supermarkets so people can buy it in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. And so, I quickly realized that, and then I also realized that as you advance in being a biologist, you advance into an office. I was going to say, like, yeah, more administrative, yeah, less field, yeah. more administrative. Yeah, so I got out of there, and I didn't want to work for any colleges or be a professor. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I just got out of there. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting take. I, I think a lot of people, because um, that's what, when I was younger, that was kind of my thing is I just I love being outside. I love the outdoors. You know, you, you, that's where I felt more at home was outside and, and just being in, you know, adventures. And you love deer, right? Like, yeah, mine was, your... was mainly deer. That was my passion is like, and, and you know, my teachers told me I was stubborn because they're like, well, you need to see other. And I did. I work with rough grouse and I did other things, too. But um, I just I had a passion for deer and that's what I wanted to do. And you know, I, I went to Mississippi and worked for a while and, you know, ultimately I, I kind of got the same thing. I, like, I just, I wasn't cut out for a state or federal position. Like that just wasn't who I was, you know, there, there was, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad, there's just too much control over the top of me. And that just wasn't how I wanted to live my life. Um, a pretty l- limited number of like opportunities. Very too, limited. Right? Like, I mean, there yeah. are probably some cool, like you can go study tigers, you know, out of the country. But, you know, if you're going to be limited, a whitetail <laughs> yeah. specialized wildlife biologist in, in the, you know, in the States, you know, there's fairly limited. Yeah, it, it's it's any position. And in, in the States, from a biologist yeah. side, you know, you've got state state positions and federal positions. There's very few private stuff. I mean, they're increasing a little bit, but it's it's state and federal. And of those, there's very limited vacancies. Um, for frankly, quite a few people coming through universities who want to be the next wildlife biologist. Yeah. Um, it's like a tough gig. Yeah. And there's not a lot of money in it either. Yeah. <laughs> so you gotta love it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, had, I had some professors that I worked for, um, you know, and they were, they were brilliant, brilliant men and women, but the, um, the person I'm speaking about right now is a guy and super educated, multiple PhDs, gets published multiple times a year in major journals. And I asked him one time, we were on a, we were on a work trip and we were just driving home and I just asked him plain, I was like, how much? And he, he comes from immense wealth, this gentleman did, so he was fine. Um, his family had legacy, lifetime money, but I, was, I asked him, I said, how much money do you make? And he told me, and I was just like, <laughs> yeah, not a chance. Yeah, and not, that's I the mean, pinnacle. I would work. 
tirelessly like yeah not a chance so, yeah. yeah and so i just want to do the cool stuff and do the dangerous stuff and um you know and go work on tigers and and i love doing the grouse study it was really cool to spend all the time i would i would just i was spending you know all daylight hours in the woods and same with working as a biologist for the u.s fish and wildlife service i lived in the wilderness for five months a year and it was incredibly rewarding and i didn't have other obligations. I didn't mm -hmm. have other responsibilities at that time. So I could work, I could be there all summer and be all in totally immersed. And, and, uh, and then I, and then I would just go hunting when I would get done. I would just fly myself up to the Arctic circle and, and go bow hunting for caribou for the next couple of weeks. Then I'd fly home and, and I'd arrive home at, you know, middle of October and all my friends would be jazzed up and want to hear the stories. And, and I instantly want to leave again. Yeah. That's all I wanted to come yeah. home see the family okay this is great see you later midwest and just kind of want to get out and and go do some other things and and because uh, i didn't really have good deer hunting at that time i didn't and i wasn't obsessed or interested i was very interested in the white-tailed deer but i didn't really understand the ins and outs i was very very interested in hunting deer hunting white-tailed deer and and seeing deer on farms and seeing bucks and buck sign but i had zero ambitions of you know, giant bucks and food plots and all that stuff. I didn't, none of that stuff really spoke to me. I just wanted to hunt. Um, I just, even with white-tailed deer, I wanted to hunt them in a wild type setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how would you describe that for you now, Donnie? Like where, where, where do your passions lie in terms of like going to places like Alaska or British Columbia or like, you know, wilderness type adventure hunts versus at home? Yeah. So it's really hard for me and I wish I had uh, a good answer for you, but I'm, I'm plagued. People say, you know, um, I'm not making fun of companies, but you know, there are companies out there that use taglines like I'm sick for it and I'm obsessed. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, this is all I can think about. But for me, it's, it's just innately really who I am. Like I can't get away from the wildlife. I don't want to get away from the wildlife. Um, you know, I, I, I see, you know, I'll see a little buck for instance, and I'll, let's say I'm with a buddy of mine and I'll see a little buck and I'll say, Oh man, look at that buck right there. And they're like, yeah, it's a dink, you know, but to me it's a showstopper. Like yeah. you're in a half old six pointer in full velvet bugs buzzing around his head, sun setting behind him, walking out in the grass, eating whatever he's doing, like mm -hmm. showstopper to me. I see it as an oil painting. I see everything as a little oil painting. And so whether it be blue wing teal on a farm pond or, or uh, bluebill ducks on a, a big nasty lake at the end of October or November, or a, a giant white-tailed buck in farmland of, of Illinois, or, or a doll sheep, you know, that I'm stalking on a snowy cliff. It's it's all the same to me. It's it's where I am. It's what's going on. It's 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 all an oil painting to me. That's I try to kind of see these things and recreate as as if you were going to paint the perfect. Mm -hmm painting of a large whitetail buck walking out of a wood line and coming into a, a standing cornfield to feed or a bean field or or walking through a crp field to connect a, along the river or dog a doe whatever like i see everything as an image and if i can if i can paint a solid image of it whether i'm duck hunting or deer hunting or hunting moose or grizzly bears like that's really what i want to do and as that painting degrades if there are, this is going to sound so silly to you guys. I've never even really spoke about this publicly, but if things aren't taking shape, um, if somebody I'm with has a negative opinion towards the animals or um, 
is even speaking weirdly about the animals or or uh, doing different techniques to kind of shortcut the experience that oil painting starts to degrade and I'm less and less invested in that moment and Mm -hmm. don't want to be around that person. And, and, um, yeah. And I, and I, that's why I find myself more and more, uh, hunting by myself and, and, um, and just kind of segregating and doing the things that I want to do. Does that, does that make sense at all? So I love, it does, man. (laughs) I love being in the mountains. I love flying in and seeing a 70 inch bull moose and, the rain clouds coming through the mountains and see a giant doll sheep and caribou. And, and I also like when I'm in a tree stand in, in, um, Illinois and I see, you know, a six and a half or seven and a half year old fat pop belly, you know, his neck is swollen and he's, you know, I can see his breath coming out of his nostrils and, and he's walking he's, you know, he sees another buck and he just folds his ears back, you know, and he's, instantly everything bristles up and you'll see his little cockleburs on his fur from where he bed last night and every little image and he just bristles up and he starts to pop, like yeah that's melts it. my damn mind i can't even handle it yeah man it, you know we talked about it a, a couple weeks ago on here donnie and it's so i'm, I'm glad you said that because it's so hard to describe jared and i kind of talked about our, our goals when we go into a hunting season are almost to set just out of reach and it's because those types of experiences that you're describing there, I don't want to miss this fall. And so I almost have an innate fear, and it, it sounds stupid, that if, let's say, opening weekend or whatever, I kill a big buck in Pennsylvania, I don't get to experience the rest of October and those rutting activities in November. Like, I, because I'm, you know, I, I'm tagged out, right? Yeah. I, I can go other places, but there's, there's certain experiences that I want my goal so hard to reach that I'm going to just get drugged through the whole season and be able to fully embrace every ebb and flow and, and changing of the season and weather conditions. And it's hard for people to just, to understand because they're going to be like, well, the end goal is to tag, tag a buck, like to, to kill a buck or, or shoot a big deer, whatever your, your goal is. And it's hard to describe that why I, I almost don't want – to reach the culmination um, from it. And I'll give you a for instance. And this is a real scenario that I might experience this year. I it very well could go the opposite direction, but I've been scouting this location for the last three years um, in Illinois where I'm hunting. And I, I finally have this. I have discovered this X in this, in this large farm property. And I hunted it last year. And uh, I've hunted in the past and I've had very good hunts there, but I'm learning more and more because I'm spending more and more time in this area. I'm learning kind of how it ebb and flows throughout the year. And I know there's conditions change and I know moon phases change and weather changes and, you know, but there's a very real instance this year. It's very good possibility that I could arrow um, a large mature buck the last week of October in this location Um I've never hunted uh, this location in October, and I don't hunt off of trail cameras. I use trail cameras. I use lone wolf, uh, whatever the lone wolf little video cameras are. Mm -hmm. I don't ever hunt off of uh, pictures or videos of this year. I collect all my cameras at the end of the year, and I watch them, and I look at them, and I make plans for this next year. And so this is why I'm kind of telling you is I had this several cameras set up in this area the last week of October last year. And I wasn't in there. Uh, in fact, I was filming a commercial for Shields in another location. But um, 
when I checked those cameras, this area was absolutely overrun with massive uh, mature bucks. And so there's a, there's a decent indication that it might be going on in there again. And there's a good chance that I might kill a buck in there this late October. And if I do, I'm probably still going to go to this location or another location similar to this. And I'll sit dark to dark, probably the first 20 days or first 25 days in November, even if I'm tagged out just to watch the show. Yeah. I'm not going to go to another state and try to find another buck and to tag another buck so I can be one of those guys on a podcast that where you guys say, whoo, we saw your Instagram, Donnie. You killed three over 170 last year. <laughs> you did it. You're like a killer. You got one in Pennsylvania. You got one in North Dakota. You got one in Illinois. And I, and I love that stuff as well. I love traveling. I love doing that stuff. And I have several places that I'm going this year. But I know the show is going to go on in this location the first 25 days of November. I know it's going to be bananas because this is such a wild place. Um, so rather than go searching for my next meet, if you will, or my next uh, whitetail rack, I think I'm just going to settle in and watch the show there even though I'll be tagged out. And is that just a personal, like you watching and literally taking in the experience or are you documenting it camera wise as well? Yeah, we'll film the whole thing. So like anything that happens, uh, we'll film everything and just so we have it for information to share with people. And, and uh, we really are attempting to ramp up, um, getting back to filmmaking. And so I'll want to have all this stuff on, on camera and, and, uh, and then some of the, some of my clients that I work with, uh, namely like Shields, mm -hmm. They're adamant because of the type of ethics and, and morals that they have. They're adamant that um, the footage that we use in their commercials is as real as possible. And so it's it's also my job to kind of sit and, and watch and harvest some of this stuff. So, yeah. Um, but it's something that I love and I rob Peter to pay Paul all the time. Like I'll be deer hunting and a buddy of mine will call me and say, man, there are a lot of bluebills on Green Bay and Lake Michigan. And I will pull up stakes, drive overnight to green bay and lake michigan and i'll go maybe shoot a limit of bluebills which is two i'll go shoot a limit of bluebills with him i'll literally drive through the night to go shoot two drake ducks and then i'll drive back or i'll stay and shoot two more drake ducks the next morning and then i'll drive back or shoot golden eyes whatever it is and and um i've just kind of come to find that when i was younger i would go to these places i'm sure you guys have done this i would go to these places when the time was wrong oh yeah and just stick it out because I love doing it. Yeah. So, but as I've gotten older and you realize how fleeting time is, you start to go when the times are hot. So like I heard you guys were discussing earlier that, you know, you're heading to North Dakota on opener early. And I love that because you get to see all those images, right? You get mm. to see some velvet box and you get to kind of experience the cricket chirps and as the sun is setting and you get to kind of be there for that day when it goes from 90 as a daytime high on Monday to Thursday, it's going to be a high of 72 mm -hmm. and you get to you know, kind of hear those geese honking on the river and you get to see those bucks with their summer velvet coats and they're nervously coming out their first few times that, you know, they've been with their buddies all summer, but now their buddies are starting to kind of poke them in the side when they're not paying mm -hmm. attention. And you get to kind of live that stuff coming to life. And, and, uh, you really gotta, you really gotta hit when the iron is hot in those different instances for sure i think yeah, what, okay donnie what uh what part of the state did you film rivers divide in uh it was the extreme western side so um uh -huh. near the theodore roosevelt national park like i'm okay i'm just a 
I don't want to say a few minutes, but a very short distance from Montana. Yeah. Yep. Is that West Central? Part of the west, state? Yeah. Northwest Central-ish kind of thing. Like probably Williston. right where I'll be. Yeah, I'm, I'm flying into Williston next week. Yep. Yep. So that location. Yep. Yeah. In fact. And, so- I, and to be honest with you, I tried to go back there this year, but the, the ranch is going through some family. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And so they've all decided, which drives me crazy when you hear like these families, you know, they're not to get on a high horse, but the great grandparents create these legacy ranches and they hand them down. And then oftentimes the grandparents, they don't, it's not a dollar bill to them. It's a legacy chunk right. of land. That they get to watch breathe and ebb and flow throughout their lives and they hand it to their kids. But at some point, it hits a generation and all I see is dollar Dollars. signs and so everyone oh, yeah. starts. So there's no hunting on that ranch um, this year until things get settled out. So, which is really unfortunate because I had a, I had a filming project that I wanted to do mm. um, a really sincere, succinct uh, filming project that I want to do for a company and I wanted to do it there. But um, oh. yeah, I was mm. just told about uncertainties. <laughs> Well, we, uh, our buddy will get a kick out of this actually. So we're actually postponing your podcast. We're going to drop it, uh, we're going to flip flop with one we're going to film this afternoon. Uh, reason being, uh, we got kind of, uh, I don't, I don't know how far to get into the story, but basically I had a, a good friend of ours that invited me out. He's like, you guys should, you guys should come out. And I, you know, I, I'm an opportunist, right? And so I was like looking at my, my calendar. I'm like, I'll go. You know, <laughs> so I don't think he expected us to take, you know, take him up on it basically. And so, um, I, I, I found out after the fact he'd like had a couple beers at the golf course and, and got ahead of himself, you know, it wasn't really his place to invite. So he, he doubled back a little bit and was like, uh, he's like, Oh, well, you know what? We, we, we probably need to ask, you know, so-and-so that's, uh, you know, they stay at his house and stuff. And fortunately I had a bit of a relationship with a guy that hosts the camp. And so I, I reached out to him directly and I just I went right to the source and I said, Hey dude, just so you know, I would never invite myself to like, I I'm fully aware of, of the, uh, the sacredness of deer camp. And like, I, I totally understand if there's not room or whatever, it's, it's fine. And, uh, so he and I worked it out and I'm going right I, I bought the, the, uh, the plane ticket and stuff and I'm, I'm going and my buddy that initially invited us d- doesn't know, <laughs> he doesn't know. We're not going to tell him. Yeah. So, and I haven't talked to him since he, that whole kind of thing happened. This was like a week and a half ago. Um, so I, the plan is I'll be in the back of the truck hiding when we pick him up from the airport. Cause I get there before he does. And so I've actually, I've never met this guy in person either. So, um, it, it's Nick Scalma. It's one of our, our finance guys. He's been on the podcast before and stuff. So we'll pick him up the day after I get there and I'll be able to jump out and, and surprise him. So that's, that'll be pretty cool. Would be funny. I mean, that would be funny, but it'd be funny if you then just bump into him at the airport <laughs> and just say, "Hey, man, I'm here. Have all your stuff," and have the other guy that owns the house like, "Hey, I don't. Did you invite someone?" That was that was the initial plan. So the problem is, yeah. I because I'm getting there after Nick, but if he got there first and I got there second, I was just gonna roll up to the house, and the guy that owns the house is gonna be like, "Dude, this guy's just showing up." Like, you know. <laughs> oh God, that'd be so funny. <laughs> So, when I was younger, I went to a hunt in Texas. This sounds so stupid saying this right now. So stupid. But I went to a hunt in Texas that was bow hunting only. This whole ranch is owned by a traditional archer. He doesn't allow it. He, it 
pains him to even allow compound bow hunting, which is what I showed up with. But my buddy and mine and I, we drove down and we brought, we both bought 300 wind mags with us and uh, just as, just as a prop. And then when we, when we got to the ranch, um, we were unpacking and the guy saw that we had rifle cases and he's like, what are those? And me and my buddy, we took the rifles out of the case. And we're like, Oh, we got our 300 wind mags. We're ready to go. And he said, <laughs> and he said this is bow hunting only. And we go, yeah, we know. And we work the bolt. <laughs> yeah. It's like the strangest. And every time he tried to talk, we just work. The bolt again. <laughs> we're just like, yeah, we have our bows. Like it's a, you know, we're winking at him. And, <laughs> After he was on to us, he was dying laughing. He's like, I can't believe you morons drove 24 hours with rifles in your truck just to pull this just off. Just to pull but it off. Too we thought it was awesome. That's the, that's the fun with deer camp, though. I mean, that that is the yeah. atmosphere and the, the lightheartedness that comes with deer camp that, you know, yeah. has its own source of anticipation to get there and uh, yeah. to enjoy the camaraderie aspect of things. Yeah. yeah. Well, so Jeremy and I have been to North Dakota, in fact, uh, twice. I think mm-hmm. we've gone out and we were fortunate enough to draw muley tags. Both Jeremy and I have shot oh, cool. muley out there. So we were hopeful that we would go back to North Dakota th- this year for muleys, and, and we didn't draw. You we know? drew last year, and we actually couldn't go. We declined our tags because of the drought. We're just like, it's not, it, oh. it, it was so dry, you know, and it just the experience. We had gone the year before, and it was really dry, and it was even worse last year. So we just kind of said. Is that why we didn't? Do yeah, it? we forfeited our tags, basically. Okay. So, so we put in again for this year, and, and as luck would have it, we didn't draw. So Jeremy and I are sitting on a on a point, a preference point, or bonus point, or whatever they have out there. So I was kind of sitting here, just like you know, not sulking, but I was like, I, you know, I don't really have any plans until October one is when like Ohio opens, yeah. and you know, most of our other states. Jeremy's got a farm in Kentucky, so that's September one, September second, oh, cool. yeah. So I'm kind of sitting here like twiddling really cool. twiddle my thumbs, and when you know Nick was like, hey, you should come out to. Uh, oh, and I guess what I was saying is when we mule deer hunted before, it was the far southwest corner of the state. Same yep. deal. We were, you know, stone, stone throw to Montana. Which is magical yep. in that early September time frame. The oh. Badlands, early September, like you said, Donnie, like 90 degrees to 70 degrees at night. It's 40 or 30. It's, it's literally it's like, one of my favorite hunts that I've we've ever been on. Yeah. It's, it is it is so, so cool. I Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. And it, it's a weird feeling too, because like we, we typically set up like a, a base camp with like our travel, well, we pick up a travel well, we trailer. Drive too, so we, we drive, we drive from here. So it's like a 26 hour drive and pick up a, like yeah. a travel trailer and Fargo or as close the, as we can yeah. to the final destination. So we yeah. always have a yeah. base camp we go back to, but it's funny. Cause like you'll go out in the, into the badlands and like, you just feel so remote, but you know, camp's whatever 10 minutes away that you can go back to every night it's a very to. accessible hunt you know like yeah. for mule deer some guy and we uh someday would like to do like a high country deal yeah. but it's like i don't have a pack of llamas and i don't have a <laughs> you know the ability to do some of this stuff so like the dakotas offer it's a pretty low barrier to entry mule deer hunt and there's giant mule deer um it's, it was pretty achievable yeah. it's as wild as it gets man i would go out there um and i set my teepee up on this plateau mm-hmm. and i could see literally the entire ranch not not exactly from my tp i could see a lot of the ranch from my tp but i would walk uh take me five minutes i would just walk out on this little lobe above a coulee and i could sit in one spot with my spotting scope and i would glass probably a solid three quarters of the ranch and and i mean i could i had all my deer identified and i could sit there and watch them and i you know i could see thickets that there it was yeah 
Yeah. It's incredible. I really hope the ranch gets things figured out because I would like to start hunting it again, but it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's tricky. It's tricky when you're dealing with, uh, no different personalities and, oh, and yeah. Uh, we, yeah. Or, yeah. Are there muleys on that ranch too, Donnie, or is it mostly whitetail? Uh-huh. No, it's it's stupid, dude. It's, yeah. it's literally okay. So on a given day, and I'm, I mean this, on the average day, I'll see herds of wild bison, mm. um, like truly wild bison. I'll see uh, you know hundred and hundred and forty inch to one hundred and eighty inch mule deer, and several of them I'll see you know huge whitetails the last deer that i killed there it's actually that i i say this to people i've never had an i've never killed an easy deer i just have never in my life but i watched this deer since he was a three and a half i think i found him um and i watched him and i killed him at six and a half and um it's the easiest deer i've ever killed he ended up being a 162 inch a pointer Mm -hmm. yeah and uh it only no took me it took dad, me two days dad killed me two two days to shoot him my dad killed 162 and a half inch eight point last year in ohio uh, they're, but funny they're, that it's the same same score eight point <laughs> giants yeah it's absolutely absolutely massive and and um uh i knew him so well it took me and i could have killed him the first day the only reason i didn't kill him the first day because the he was running with 100 probably 65 inch 10 and the 165 inch 10 saw me drawing my bow Otherwise, he would have been dead the first day. But anyway, um, just kind of seeing these animals. But I'll see muleys, whitetails, bison, bighorn sheep every single day. Like I'll have bighorn sheep walk through my camp every day. Um, there's, there's mount. I'll get videos of mountain lions every day. I've never seen one on the property, but I'll, I'll get videos of them walking past my teepee at night. Yeah. Um, you know, rattlesnakes almost every day, and then occasionally I've seen antelope on the property. Occasionally I've seen elk. Uh, probably four or five times a year, I'll see moose on the wow. property, tons of coyotes, but this is all it's freaking magical. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's insane, man. It's a really special place. It's a really special place. And I used to hunt it with a good friend of mine and it worked out perfect because he was addicted to muleys mm. and I've always been addicted to whitetails. And so when we hunted it together, he would always, because back in the day, um, when we would get our archery tags, it was for either or. Oh, wow. You could kill a muley or a whitetail. That's right. It wasn't until well, it probably, is still. Yeah, if you draw. Uh, let's just say seven years ago. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. It, it is still. So, like, if you put in for muleys, you get an either. In any deer. Either or. In any deer tag. Right. But, but the whitetails are over, the, over counter. the counter. Yeah. Whitetails still are over the yeah. counter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. So, um, but we would have either or and, and um, or I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I misspoke. You had to put in for muleys. That's right. But we drew every year. Yeah, there was no. Yeah. Yeah. They would have like 10,000 archery mule deer tags and 2,000 guys were putting in. So we drew, like, we couldn't, back in the day, because I hunted the ranch for 15 years straight. The first 12 years I hunted the ranch, you couldn't even fathom not getting a mule deer tag. Yeah. Everyone got a mule deer tag times, you know, and then I think it was, uh, they had an EHD year or something like yeah. that. And overnight, they dropped from 10,000 tags to like 3,000 tags. And all of a sudden, people stopped drawing. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I, I, that kind of crossed my mind the other day. Like, didn't didn't the Dakotas have a pretty bad EHD thing like just a, a year or two ago? Um, Two years ago. Yeah. So he hasn't yeah, said they, anything. They to... also did the year of the Rivers Divide. The year I killed Steve, They had uh, we found a lot of dead bucks that year. What yeah. year was that, Donnie? 
2012. Yeah, I think I killed 20, 2012 was Everybody the year. Yeah, that. Missouri, Iowa, Illinois, clear up in the. I mean, it yeah. it pummeled deer herds that yeah. year. It was the worst that I think we've I've yeah. ever seen. But yeah, it was two years yeah. ago. The ranch owner was freaking. Yeah, everybody yeah. was because I mean, it, literally, you could smell death. Well, when he was you walk he was out. freaking. He was freaking that Steve was dead. He thought uh, Steve was dead. Because when I when I when I wounded Steve, this am- amazing that he did this. But when I wounded Steve, he stopped all hunting on the ranch. Like no a- anyone else that had permission beside me. He's like he called him. He's like you're not welcome here until Donnie kills this deer. Like no <laughs> one's coming here until Donnie kills this deer. Damn. That's wild, man. That's that's crazy. Well, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if because uh, I know we'd heard about that a year or two ago. I wonder if they haven't said anything about it this year. So I don't know. It's, it's a totally new experience, you know, for me. We we've seen a lot of whitetails, like where we hunted muleys in the southwest part of the state. There was, you know, some some we awesome, saw some giant whitetails, some awesome whitetails. But we just, you know, I, you know, we have so many whitetail opportunities back home, and it was just such an adventure to go yeah. not only to a new place, but like do the the muleys. I'll be honest, are a, a close second for me t- to whitetails. Uh, I think it's the style. Same. Yeah. yeah, I've I've hunted elk, and I I mean, I, it's not you know I haven't hunted caribou or moose or anything like that, but I can just I feel like I can tell. I could put myself in the shoes of like I can consume some of those hunts that are out there, and I'm like, dude, just there's something about the deer for me. Like whitetails will always have like mm-hmm. you know the top place, but those muleys are. Mm-hmm. And, and what I love so much, you're talking about you know glassing out in the Dakotas, and it's like that that's one of my favorite parts out there as opposed to back home here in the east is like. Back here, Same. there's so many questions. I'm like, man, we, you know, so much speculation, whether it's with trail cameras or, you know, uh, you know, yeah. you know, glassing from the truck, whatever you can see in ag fields and, and, and uh, you know, lived yeah. experience from the stand. When you go out to the Dakotas or, you know, any state, a lot of the Western states are this way. It's like it almost takes the blanket off of everything. And if you have good binoculars, good glass, it, there's no questions. It's like there they are. You know, every morning mm-hmm. I see them coming back off the alfalfa field. And, like, it, it's yeah. a pretty liberating experience to be able to, like, yeah. know and understand and see what they're actually doing uninhibited. And you get to appreciate it, right? When you're, yeah. when you're in the woods of Pennsylvania, it, you know, even when you're walking in, it, I really felt this way when I was a kid. When I, when I would go in the woods when I was a kid, I was like, I think to myself, I don't even know if there are deer in here. Period. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I just can't even picture deer being in the woodlot that I'm walking into right now. But when you're, when you're in the Dakotas, you can you know literally see when I when I started the quest of hunting, um, that was one thing that was kind of cool with Steve, is I could see every other buck on the ranch, every single one I could glass from my camp. I never saw him once, not wow. once. Not once was he still in the alfalfa field when the sun came up. Not once. The woodlot that he lived in was only probably 40 or 50 acres. And there were a couple of holes in it that, you know, like sometimes I'd be glassing that hole. And it was so cool because you'd see yellow grass up to their chest. And then all of a sudden you'd just see this front shoulder walking down the trail. And then you'd see, you know, a mass of antlers. And I'm watching them go to bed. Like I'm watching these big bucks go to bed. Not once was one of them, Steve. Not ever. I saw that deer. I passed him when he was four, which he would have been my biggest bow kill at that time. I passed him when he was four. And a buddy of mine that was running the ranch at that time, he's like, kill that deer. He's huge. He's a giant. He would have been. 145 inch um 10 pointer at four years old and he's like kill that deer he's huge i said no he looks and i had him in front of me but i was like no he looks really young and then um and then a bunch of archers had shot at him when he was five (laughs) at 
Oh, wow. Less than 20 yards or 20 yards. Cause where he was living, like you couldn't even shoot over 20 yards. And he, and a bunch of guys had missed him because he blew up into, you know, he was probably in the sixties as a five-year-old. Um, and then I, and then I found him when he was, but it was just weird that he could move through those areas. And I saw him three times, passed him at four, wounded him at five, killed him at six, but I saw him three times only in all those years on the ranch. And I was sitting dark to dark. I can't even, I sat dark to dark for him something like 46 days. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Something, some, something like that. That's mentally exhausting. So were you just getting, were you running trail cameras? Like how did you know he was there? Yeah, running trail cameras, and it was funny. So um, one time, this is beside the point, but I'll tell you this story one time. I got a hair, like, I was thinking about this deer, and I heard rumors from the rancher. He's like, Donnie, there's – he's always been really good to me, the guy that runs the ranch. And he'd call me, and he's like, hey. Like, I had a – he'd always – he liked old bow hunters, so it was never a huge threat for me because he'd always have these guys out there that were like <laughs> yeah. 60, 70 years old, and they'd come in. <laughs> And he would tell me the great these great stories. These guys would come in, and he'd be like, "Hey, your quiver's empty," and they'd be like, "Oh, there was deer everywhere tonight." And you know, and he'd say, "Like, did you hit one?" And be like, "Not even close." Like, <laughs> you know, we got to go find my arrows now. And so they, these two guys with flashlights, would go fumble around and go find all their arrows sticking in the ground. You know, and they'd get a kick out of it. And so, but he, this guy called me, and he's like, "Hey, there's these guys are coming back pretty." befuddled about what they're seeing and i was like oh no kidding so i put a camera up over there but um the second year after i wounded steve when i was trying to locate him again to see if he lived um it was funny because i drove from my house in wisconsin to the ranch it takes me 13 hours 12 13 hours something like that but i would i hopped in the car at like 2 a.m drove all day got there and i put up a trail camera i put up a reconics camera but I used a little SD card that came with a camera that had was 15 megabytes. <laughs> and so when I set it up, I, so I drove th- 13 hours. I set the camera up, drove 13 hours. Uh. And when I went back and checked the camera, I had three photos of my ass <laughs> and the card was full. So I set the camera up walking out. It took three photos of my ass leaving and the card was full. Card was full. So when I went back to check it, hilarious. But um, <laughs> the year that I saw Steve, I wasn't finding any deer on this ranch, which is super, super rare. Like usually it was really easy for me to find. I mean, I've probably killed 10 bucks on that ranch, and I'd say they all average six and a half, seven and a half, eight and a half years old. And so it was always easy for me to find an untouched buck and to kind of hunt it. And um, But I also, for years, would I'd only hunt that ranch in December and January. Mm-hmm. So I would let all, the, all these archers would come out there. All these archers would hunt it early during the rut, yada, yada. And then I would go out there December and January. I'd use my glasses to locate a big buck in a feeding pattern and then I'd kill him. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not, I don't, I don't want to say it was easy because oftentimes I was hunting to be 20, 30 below zero, but it was mm-hmm. awesome. And I just really liked it. It was kind of my end, end of the season. North Dakota has always been really good for people to start there yeah, yeah. or to end there. End right. There. I mean, the rut's amazing too, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that year when I saw Steve on the first picture I got of him, I was, and it's in the film. But the first picture I got of him, I was just like, oh, my word. Like, I thought he was 180. 
uh, because their bodies are too small to really conceptualize. Yeah. I uh, end up being 165 inches and, um, yeah, I was going to have both of his sheds. I have a shed right there from when I wounded him. Do you guys want to see it? Yeah, yeah man. Of course. Um, but I had this guy, this, there was a farmer, a rancher on this ranch, uh, ranch hand. And he found both of Steve's sheds laying perfectly next to each other in a hay field yeah. in the spring. And he's like, hey, I think that's that big deer that Donnie's hunting. But he just kept haying, and then he ran one of them over. Oh. And destroyed it. And he's like, oh, crap. I, 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 I hope he got a flat over. tire for that. Jeez. He goes, he goes, I better pick the other one up. So he, <laughs> I could have had both sides, but he ran one of them over. Oh. Who leaves the shed just laying there? I hope he got a flat tire for that. <laughs> Holy cow. So that's. Oh, that's, my. Mm, yeah. Yep. That's from the year that I. And actually, he ran this one over, too. <laughs> but the blade just nicked it right there. Jeez. But wow. destroyed the destroyed the other one. That's from the year and that then, you wounded um, him? This is from the year that I wounded him. And then there's yeah. another deer that you guys probably don't know about. Because there's actually a Rivers Divide, too. Because I did the exact same story as this. What? Uh, again. No, I hadn't seen that yeah. one. Where's that at? Well, it's not out. I, I haven't even edited it yet. I was like, oh. where's that at? We got, yeah, no. So oh, yeah, of course deer, they haven't seen it. <laughs> so this deer, which we named um, Bob because he only has half a tail. A mountain lion bit his tail off. Oh, wow. Well, Bob so I shot this deer um, in, I don't, I don't know the years anymore, but I shot it in the wintertime. It was 30 below zero. I had a 30-yard shot on him. He was six and a half years old. And I came to full draw, and um, and I felt so good too because I, sh- I at that time I was shooting a hinge because I was had horrible target panic, or I had I shouldn't say horrible, but I had very bad target mm-hmm. panic. So I came to full draw, and he came walking out, and I just put my pin right on his chest. I felt super calm, and I just walked into it. The shot, shot, like if you watch the video, you're if I showed you the video right now, you'd be like, oh, you smoked him, you smoked him. Like it looks like I just heart punch him. It's an absolute X, but it just hits him through the brisket. Yeah. And uh, and I thought I smoked him too. Like the arrow hit somebody, runs off, and I was like, oh, he's dead. And then it was funny because maybe 10 minutes later, he comes running by dogging a doe. <laughs> so like, <laughs> yeah. okay, he's probably fine. There's um, your, your high of high to low of low in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then it took me uh, three years to kill that deer. So I killed about nine and a half. Whoa. Wow. And so you and have that you have that documented, Donnie? It's totally document fully documented. The public needs yep. Rivers Divide too. <laughs> I I probably have a legitimate feature length called an hour uh of I probably have four or five hour long films in the can that I just need to produce. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Like I could stop filming this year and come out with four I could come out with a film every year for the next five years easy maybe even six years uh, for a body of work but i've just been so busy with commercial work for shields and then like true velocity you yeah. see my t-shirts yep. my, oh, yeah probably our biggest biggest client we do all the military stuff for those guys and production stuff and so like i have several shoots with these guys this year which i get to go which is super rewarding because i get to go spend time with navy seals and delta force guys and green berets and that's awesome and uh 
and film all this stuff. But it's it keeps it keeps us too too busy, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. I just have a small crew. But anyway, so that yeah, that dear Bob, he's awesome. And listen to this. This is so cool. I should probably put a photo together of this. So you guys have seen the Rivers Divide multiple times, right? Is mm-hmm. that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. So so you know that um you know that dead branch that sticks out? He comes out and he kind of like pushes that other buck off. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. then he turns and he starts walking in towards that dead branch. Yep. That's when I shoot him. Yeah. When I when I kill Bob, he he and Steve would be nose to nose. Oh wow. Wow. But when I when I wounded Steve, it was in that exact same location. So Steve was facing the opposite direction and he was walking north when I wounded him. And then he was walking kind of southeast when I killed him. Bob, I was on the other side of the ranch. I was two miles, three miles away when I wounded him. And he would occasionally go through Steve's area, but not very often. And just lo and behold, uh, very, very late. I was camping. I camped for, it was either 17 or 21 days we camped and it was uh, daytime highs were negative 10. Nighttime lows were negative 30. And we were camping in a floor, floorless teepee in the forest just beyond him because I didn't want to, I just wanted to suffer through this one. And so we would have to cross the river, you know, have to cross this ice every day. And we'd sit out literally dark to dark and in, in, uh, in these brutal temperatures. And, and, um, and I wouldn't even allow like William Altman filmed the whole thing. I, was like, I wouldn't say. even allow him to wear a lot, a lot of clothes. He's like, like, Donnie, I'm like I'm no, cold. You're not, you're not, you're not wearing a lot of clothes. Like we'll, we're wear, we'll wear a lot of wools. Yeah. yeah. We'll be warm enough, but like no synthetics at all. We're all doing wool. And he was fine with that. He's a really hardy guy. And then, um, that deer <laughs> came in and I was standing up and peeing. And William and I know each other very, very well. We filmed. <laughs> you spent I mean, 21 we, days I in a probably, teepee with each other. I mean, you, you pretty much know yeah. everything about each other. <laughs> so I was, I was, sta- we were in a, a hay bale blind. And I was standing up and going, oh, yeah. pee. bending way back. <laughs> and then, yeah. And William just went like this to my butt. <laughs> and when he, when he poked me, I just stopped peeing and I turned around <laughs> And we kind of have this thing slowly comes to a dribble, years, whether it be whether it be grizzly bears or caribou or whatever. It's like if he pokes me or pinches me, like if I'm looking the other direction or whatever, the more urgent the situation, the harsher the pinch mm-hmm. or poke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like he he poked me. I stopped peeing. You're like left cheek. We're really good. Started, <laughs> right cheek. We better really stop over doing. Pushing against my butt cheek. Yeah. yeah. And he started pushing. I was like, okay, this is serious. And I turned around and he's like, I don't know what it is. He's like, but I can hear um, a deer coming through the woods and he could hear uh, the branches ticking off of its tines. And it sounded, you know, it just had a different tick yeah. to it, right? It sounded heavy. And I sat back down, I grabbed my bow and I, Basically, as he was walking in, I just looked over and I was like, hey, it's Bob. And he looked at me like, because Bob disappeared the year before I killed Bob. We didn't get a single trail camera photo of him. We didn't glass him once ever. Wow. Like he just, we thought a mountain lion ate him or somebody killed him. Like yeah, he was that just gone. age. So we, mm-hmm. Yep, we had moved on to hunt. Yeah, because at that time he was eight and a half. Yep. And then ended up killing him at nine and a half. Yep. That's crazy. And so then- that's, all do- that's all documented. 
those conditions too. I mean, that's that's the hard thing for people to really imagine with some of those mature bucks like that is the conditions that they go through season after season. These deer are so freaking tough. It is just, oh, it's yeah. almost unfathomable how tough these yeah. animals are out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. And so it's really rewarding and we have to edit that stuff. Like I'm going to look 25 years old in these films when they finally get <laughs> What I think we're going to do, I shouldn't even tell this to you guys because I don't want to, no, I'm not going to say it, but we have an idea of how we're going to put these films together that I think is going to be pretty sensational. Cool, awesome. man. Well, well I'm, to it, yeah, you know? I mean, I'm sure everybody is really looking at it. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. Dude, where would we be without our cell cams? I would definitely be divorced at this point. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I mean, the fact is, is I spent more time checking cameras than I actually did hunting prior to cell cameras. Now, at least my wife can enjoy me being in the comfort of my own home, buried in my phone, checking those pictures. Yeah, 100%. And dude, when it comes to uh, trail cameras and definitely cell cameras, reliability is, I think, the number one thing that we're looking for. Stealth Cam just has a long reputation of reliable cameras, and ultimately that is the most important thing to us. They have to work. In terms of reliability, there's not a better camera on the market than Stealth Cam, whether you're talking about the Fusion X, the Reactor, or the DS4K Transmit. And most of them are under 200 bucks. Stealthcam.com. Check them out. Donnie, I'm curious, how are you doing with that target panic now? Oh, money. Like, I um, I cured myself before. I, it's really funny because I went to ATA one year, and Joel Turner, you guys know who Joel is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We talked about this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joel um, was speaking on target panic, and I was like, oh, my God, this is going to sound so uh, egotistical, but I don't mean it to be. Um, I was rushing to his seminar because I was reading everything I could on target panic. I, if I saw a book on target panic, I would buy it. If I could find a podcast on target panic, I would listen to can, it. Can you kind of describe um, it? Like, can you kind of describe it? How did, how did that kind of start for you? And what, like, was it yeah. having to do with your release or your equipment? Cause I, I went through I can. probably the exact same thing. And I'm curious to hear how you went through this. Okay. So I used to be a really good shooter. Um, but I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just really good at, I would come to full draw, put my pin on the bullseye. And then I would just literally keep my pin on the bullseye and just tink. Mm-hmm. And I just slap the trigger and the air would go in the bullseye. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just would do that and do that and do that. And, and, um, and one year I was shooting a, an archery tournament with a friend of mine. It was really funny because he's such a funny guy, but he came to full draw and he's, and he goes, Hey, I said, yeah. And he goes, if your pin is below the bullseye, what do you do? I go, I raise it up. And he goes, <laughs> How? but I can't. He's, he's a, this guy's a fireman. He's super strong. Yeah. He goes, I can't. And I go, why? He goes, it's super heavy. And I go, what, what do you mean it's super heavy? And so I didn't understand what he meant. He couldn't put, mm-hmm. can't bring it his up. His pin. So basically, I've learned this through Joel, but basically, your body knows that there's going to be an explosion. The release, whether it be a, a pistol, a rifle, or a bow, it knows that there's going to be an explosion, and it knows that when your pin is around that bullseye, that's when the explosion is going to come. So basically, your mind won't let you put hmm. your pin on that bullseye. You can, you can, I'm sorry, you can drive it by. You yeah. can bring your pin up, and and then that's what I got to doing. And one time, you guys, I was, um, I was getting ready for a doll sheep trip, and I put a piece of one inch tape 
on my target and I was shooting it at like 80, 90 yards. It's incredible what the human mind can do. I was literally, I would literally bring my pin up from the bottom and I'd shoot. I'd time it. Mm-hmm. And I, I was putting like 80% of my arrows were going in that tape. Wow. But when I would sight in like nothing ever, like when I was trying to just get dialed, like I was all over the place, I'd switch arrows, I'd switch releases, I'd, all this stuff. And so I read all this stuff. And in reading this stuff, I even realized Fred Bear of Bear Archery had target panic so bad that he almost closed the doors of Bear Archery. Oh, wow. He had it with his target and with his uh, recurve. And so he had target panic so bad with his recurve that he almost closed the doors. He even started shooting left-handed for a while to try to see if that was to see Holy if the problem cow. was shooting right. So all these guys have went through this. So then I read, excuse me, I read an article. I saw a magazine ad um, for the Carter Honey release. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever seen that? Mm-hmm. It's a hinge with a it's a hinge with a safety. Yep. Yeah. And I bought one, and it was so. And I liked it. I did. Um, but then I bought. Then I found the Honey Two, which is a little circle with just a little smooth. Did, little did you happen to talk fingers. to those guys? Like, did you talk to Forrest Carter as you were getting into that? I didn't, but I read an article from Forrest Carter yep. mm-hmm. about how he cured his target panic, and he's he was both right and wrong. Okay. Um. So he had because like they would talk about. Um, back tension, back yep. tension, back tension. And so sometimes I was coming to full draw and I was flexing my back and I'm a decently strong guy. And I'm just sitting there going, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to pull my bow in half. Yeah. Right? That's how hard I'm, that's yeah. how much I'm settled in. And then I saw this seminar or something one time from Levi. Yep. Um, and Levi's like, somebody Mor- asked Morgan? somebody in the audience, Morgan. Yeah. yeah. Levi like, lives hey, right up the street. Our neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, he does. Okay, so one time somebody was like, um, and and just so you know, if you guys talk to Levi, like, I kind of, I'm pretty sure I have this in my head, but if I'm misremembering, just, sure. I'm not quoting this, but basically somebody raised their hand and was like, Eli, Levi, tell me about, you know, like, are you using back tension? And I saw it in his face. He kind of got this shitty and grin on his face. And he was like, back tension is kind of bullshit. Like it's really actually fake. Yeah. And I heard people in the audience and people are like, what do you mean? He's like, it's like the whole archery industry saying back tension, it's a bunch of bullshit. Like you can't pull into your scapulas and miraculously, once you bury your scapulas against your spine, miraculously, you enter the kingdom of the archers, yeah. you know, <laughs> Shangri-La and it goes, Wah! Yeah. and you hit the bullseye. He's like, no, there has to be movement. Yes. And as soon as he said that, I was like, you, Donnie, are a moron. I can't believe how dumb you are. And so as soon as he said that sentence, I ran downstairs, grabbed my bow, grabbed my arrows, and I had a a block four-by-four target, the yeah. big one that you see in archery ranges. Mm-hmm. Had it in my basement, and I had a golf tee in it, and I came to full draw with that honey, too, and I just buried my pin on that um, – golf tee and i'd slowly i'd still get into good form right i'd still bury my scapulas but once i got totally locked out using my muscles i would as slow as i could i would rotate that mm-hmm. release and it go off and my heart would be beating out of my chest i'm like i never i you guys i considered shutting sick manta down i considered stopping filming i considered basically disbanding my team and saying guys 
we, we got to go do other things. Cause I don't, whatever it is, I don't have it. Never had it. Probably never will have it. You know, I could shoot fine when I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. But as soon as my body kind of started to anticipate that explosion, I had to move on. Well, then I came to full draw, burying my pin on that, that, that T and I just slowly rotate and it got to where it got to where not only did the explosion not bother me, but it got to where I craved it mm-hmm. to where like I'd come to full draw and I'm like, I cannot wait for this thing to go off. And I would just sit there and I'd bury that pin in. And I started just getting like when I would shoot normally, first of all, I'd panic if anyone watched me shoot. Sure. Right. Yeah. If guys started to gather, like if I went oh, yeah. to a hunting camp, which would always happen, I started to shoot guys would gather around me like, well, it's Donnie Vincent. And I'd be like, <laughs> I'm hoping a sniper has his crosshairs on my forehead right now. Any second, he's just going to, and I'm going to get to go away. Yeah. But I would get so nervous. And every time I shot, I'd be like, oh, my bow. Oh, is my grip. Oh, my bow jumped. Oh, yeah. my release yeah. farted. Oh, my, a crow flew by. And I thought I saw an airplane. I mean, literally. And then um, I got to where I just absolutely love this thing. And my groups went from when I used to shoot, I'd be like, well, that's about a deer's lungs. Now, yes, you know, it's okay. Yeah. To where literally I'd have, I could go up and pull four or five arrows at a time because they're all the shafts were touching. Yeah. Right. And like, you know, it's just like I stopped and I realized, I said, Joel loves that I say this sentence, but I realized I, I thought to myself, oh my word, where the arrow goes is actually none of my business. Mm. If I do my job right here. Yeah. Who, who cares if I get a bullseye? Who cares if I double lung the deer? Who cares if I shoot the aspirin out of the air? That's none of my business. Mm-hmm. The arrow's already left me. I have no control, zero, mm-hmm. over that arrow once it leaves my bow. None. Mm-hmm. So I might as well just focus on this. And then if you guys are watching me, if I was at your house right now and we we're doing this live and you said, we're going to go outside right now, you haven't shot a compound bow in six months. You're going to take my Hoyt RX-7 or whatever it is that you guys are shooting right now. You're going to take my bow, and we're going to see how good Donnie Vincent can shoot at 60 yards. I'd say go ahead and hang a – go to your target and hang a vertical rope that's a half inch or less wide. Give me your bow that I've never shot before. Give me a hinge or Joel's new um, Onyx button thumb button release which i hate thumb buttons but joel has a really good one now give me that release i'll freaking hit that rope in three shots or maybe even maybe i might even hit the first shot because i have realized to leave my aim alone because it doesn't matter and so Mm. like when i'm shooting at something now like i was shooting um i did an event last weekend in i'm not i'm not bragging you guys this is just stuff that i like to do i did an event last week in wyoming um for the Polaris group. You guys obviously have heard yep. of Polaris. Yep. So I was doing a thing with Polaris and we did a bunch of stuff with their machines and all this different, really cool things that you guys will see coming up. But um, just cause Polaris is such an awesome company, they wanted us to, we went out and shot bows and we went out and fly fish and shot rifles and all this stuff. And they have this ranch that we were on has an awesome rifle range. And, and I wanted to, I wasn't showing off, but I just wanted to see if I could hit the thousand yard target offhand with a, you know, with a heavy kind of bench gun. Mm-hmm. And so, because I'm so comfortable with the wobble in my, in my crosshairs that I'm so confident in my trigger pull process back here now, whether it be a pistol, a rifle, or my bow, 
that, and I didn't hit it. I shot probably five or six times that I never hit it, but I was missing it by like four or five inches, six inches, 12 mm. inches, 18 inches, something like that. So really dang close. But that's the thing is I got so comfortable with that wobble, right? That yeah. having my pin, like, let's say I'm trying to shoot myself in the face. You know, when you're a new archer or you're a macho archer, or you think that snipers are actually holding their gun still, you hate that wobble. But really, if I'm trying to shoot myself in the nose and my fingers are wobbling a little bit, I had a cup of coffee. But if I just let this do it, the next movement is always back to the center. Yeah. It's never away from the target. I'm always moving close to the target. And my conscious mind is way slower than my subconscious mind. So if I just take my conscious mind and I walk that release back as slow as I can while while embracing that wobble and yep. longing for that explosion, I'm going to hit the bullseye every time. Yeah. yeah. Or I'm going to do my best version of the bullseye. Yeah, I might hit... Might hit three inches to the right, might hit three inches to the left, might hit high, low, what, whatever, who cares? But it's gonna like it's it's gonna do its job. And the more you practice, right? That's where and then like you get guys like Levi um Morgan, you get people like Bodie Turner, yeah, that are mental midgets, right? They're mental giants, if you will. When I say midgets, I mean that they can um, dissect things. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know Levi at all, but I'll guarantee you Levi is – I'll guarantee you he's doing l- the tiniest little dissections. Like, he's sure. – everyone else is going, oh, yeah, that guy over there shooting his bow. And Levi's going, no, I am paying attention. I know the sound of his arrow. I can see the distance of his foot to the target. Like, he's doing other things in his head. Yeah to split finite little details to make that's what makes him the best is he's doing things yeah, that the rest yeah. of us can't or aren't same with Bodie. Like I've shot with Bodie so many times and like, like I've shot, um, last time I was at his house, we were shooting, I think 125 yards and he doesn't even have a 125 yard pin, but he was stacking his arrows like this at 125 yards because hmm. he came to full draw and me, him, and Joel were doing these long bombs, and he like put his pin on there, and he shot. And the, the bullseye was, let's say, the bullseye was here. Bodie was shooting just above the bullseye, and he was shooting this super tight group. And Joel was like, "How come you're not hitting the bullseye?" And he's like, "Dad, I don't even have a 120 yard pin. Just I'm just holding out. my pin on the exact same spot every time. So I'm not going to chase this bullseye. I'm just chasing doing the same thing." And Joel's like, "Okay, cool." Yeah. But I mean, his his literally his group was like the size of a tennis ball at 125 yards. Yeah. And uh, so that's how I kind of got through it. Is that I worked through. I heard Levi <clears> say <throat> that back tension was bullshit. Then I realized that there was movement. Then I realized that aiming is not something that any human can really do. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. If you're a world-class Delta Force sniper, your crosshair wobble is probably a fraction of what mine is. Let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, my wobble is a 9, and you as a Delta Force operator, your wobble is a 2 um, because you're just better at this job. That's what makes you excel in that realm. Like All three of us can drive cars. None of us drive race cars, right? We mm-hmm. all – you know, if, if you put us behind the wheel of a race car, all three of us could drive race cars today. 
Um, and we could probably have a relatively entertaining race if the four of us raced. Yeah. But if you put us with race car drivers, we'd be like, what's that guy's deal? Why is he going so fast? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And But he sees the racetrack in different manners. They can split hairs. They can do finding things and what makes them excel. And so um, that's really how I started to. And then that explosion that I started to embrace when I shot my basement, that started to be an explosion at the animal to where I started – really loving that instead of rushing through that process of getting that arrow off right away to get it in like yeah i'd come to full draw and shoot right away to like just get an arrow in the deer like just kill the deer i want this over yeah like it's gotten to the point sometimes i shot this big elk a few years ago it's 18 yards he's staring at me bugling at me at 18 yards licking his nostrils drool is running out of his mouth he's literally bugling at me at 18 yards and then he turns he turned to get my wind. My wind was dropping downhill and he turned because he's like, I don't know what this thing is. He turned, started to get my wind and I had my honey too. And I was full drawn. I put it on his shoulder and I clicked my release off and I was just sitting there and my friend who I was hunting with, I could tell he was like, <laughs> is he going to shoot? Yeah. And I kind of was so in the zone of just enjoying that sight picture I was like, oh, yeah, I still have to kill this bull. And so I just yeah. just ever so slightly, I just <laughs> air bow went off and yeah. bull was dead in 50 yards or whatever. Crazy. So it's it's been this. And then now I've obviously started this absolutely moronic journey with a longbow. And so, you mm. know, I'm just like, whatever. Are, are you still using the longbow that Flip gave you? Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I shoot it all the time. Yeah. Um, but I'm not hunting with it because um, the poundage the poundage on it isn't what it used to be. Got it. And so um, I just feel like I need to be slinging a little bit more oomph yep. um, for deer. So yeah. what's the poundage on the new one you're using? Fifty one. Yep. Fifty one pounds. Yep. And I'm probably gonna order a um, I'm probably gonna order a sixty pounder here next. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that recurve I'm shooting is 52, and that, I mean, it feels heavy. I mean, you get used to it when you shoot enough reps, but it's just when, you, when you've when you shot compound for years, yeah. it just yeah. feels so different. Yeah. If I can real quick. I got to buy a new compound. I, I, I got to get back. I want to. I just want to start shooting a compound again, and I don't yeah. I have one. I have a PSE right there, but I got to go shopping. If I can, before we move on to the, the mm -hmm. triad stuff here real quick, I – just conceptualizing everything you're saying about the shot process, you know, we're talking about a compound bow and, and target panic. And it's, it's funny. I went through a, a very similar, uh, you know, whether you were having this exactly or, or your buddy that you mentioned, like could not get that thing up to the target, right? Just always yeah. low, yeah. always low. And it was fear. So stupid. And it, yes, dumb. It was, I just I couldn't understand it. I was like, why can't I do this? And when I would force myself to do it, it was exactly that. It was forced. It was rushed. I was, and it was happening in real Mm -hmm. life like real hunting situations i was shooting way under deer like and it was just like yep. i was like what is happening here i was like i think of myself as like i'm a you know fairly established i've killed i've killed a lot of, this was maybe what three four years three ago? years ago and yeah. i was just like i couldn't i couldn't understand what was what was happening uh i actually ended up talking to far uh, forrest carter at uh, it was one of the ata shows i just was like i don't i was just walking okay. around like you know, with my head in my, you know, hands, basically like ashamed of, my, I couldn't even shoot my bow in front of people or at a target, I couldn't kill anything. Yeah. And so I was just, 
you know, I, I don't know if somebody had mentioned to me like, well, you should try, you know, a back tension release or some type of a different release to, to check that out. And I just happened to, you know, Forrest was at the booth there and I just was like, laid my soul out for him. I was like, dude, here's what's happening. Like, here's my issue. Like, can you, do you know anything about this? He's like, yeah, I, actually, I wrote a book on like how to, <laughs> you know, solve yeah. target panic or whatever. And so he kind of gave me a, 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 I don't think I, I don't know if I bought the book or he ended up emailing me something after the fact, but he's like, here is my process for this. He's like, I basically, so you're describing it as like an explosion. You know, you're like, when I want to shoot, it's, it's an explosion that the mind is af afraid of that. That probably is true. And, you know, on varying degrees for different people. But for me, it was more fear of the negative consequence of what would happen when I pull the trigger. Not like, oh, the explosion part of it, but the, oh, I missed by a lot. You know, and I was just, I was avoiding that negative thing that would would happen. And so it was that, it was that, you know, cycle or repetition that was causing me to, to have target panic. It was really bad. It's that same, it's the same thing, right? Like I say explosion, you say you didn't want to miss your target, but really it's not that you were afraid of the explosion. It's that you had a pre-ignition movement yes, exactly. because you weren't comfortable with your aim. That's the biggest yes. thing that you have to do. And Joel describes it best is that you have to find your aim, yep. find it to keep it, watch it to keep it, but you have to leave it. You have to yep. abandon your aim and move on because you can't aim and have a good release. Mm -hmm. So you have to get your aim good enough. And then you're like, okay, that aim is good enough. That, that dot is floating around that deer's chest, as small a mm -hmm. wibble as you possibly can. Um, and then you start walking through your release. And if you're fine with that little wobble on the deer's chest, your mind is moving that wobble back to the center every single yeah. time. Yeah. And it was really cool. Um, we did this process with Joel. We were shooting pistols and we had a red dot on a pistol. And there's probably five of us in the kitchen. We we're in, a, in Alaska. And Joel handed each of us a pistol. And we had this thing on the wall to aim at with this red dot. And it was really cool to see. Some guys had, like Joel had a really tiny wobble. Yeah. And then my wobble was bigger than Joel's, but sharp, really sharp edged. And then like a couple of the guys kind of had like almost like the lobes of a flower. Mm. Like they, their, their movements were just kind of this weird little like circular motions. And so it was just weird to see. We each had, you know, this different way of aiming, but it was very clear to me like Joel's like Joel doesn't drink coffee mm -hmm. and at this point in the morning I had had two cups of coffee so Joel and I'm not making excuses just caffeine is what it is but Joel's wobble was like an eighth of an inch and my wobble was like half inch or a quarter of an inch or whatever and so like you know it's just um but yeah have you ever taken Joel's course or <laughs> not the course I I'm trying to remember if uh I'm not as familiar, like with the, is it the shot IQ stuff? I, mm -hmm. I can remember yeah, it, it was, shot IQ. consequently, it was also at an ATA thing. Like I remember yeah. running into that yeah. booth and it was like, we saw, is mm -hmm. that the software? Did Joel come up with that? Is that the, where it would monitor yeah. exactly yes. where you're aiming at and then your lead up to the shot and stuff that, that was Joel? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's th not necessarily that, but he just goes through the mental training. Like you guys, honestly, yeah. um, you should contact him. And sure. I mean, even if you, I train with them probably four or five times a year, but it, it would be advantageous for you guys to, let's just say, buy it as a group. Yeah. And then every year, let's just say August, you guys are like, hey, or whenever you want to do it, I'm going to watch this again. Let's say it's two hours long. I'm going to pour myself into this process because it's just, it makes yeah 
all the difference in the world. He's a friend of mine. Obviously, he's an archery oh. coach, but I fly to his house probably four times a year, and I'll spend a long weekend with him and his family, and we just literally – him and Bodie, dude, like if you want to know what the best does, you want to know what the best shooters do, I'm sure um, Levi's like this. When I'm at Joel's house, we get up at probably five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. We go out in his field. We start shooting our bows at 6.30 in the morning. We shoot until probably 11-ish before you start to get the shakes like I haven't consumed food. Wow. Uh, then we'll go in and eat some sort of breakfast. We go right back outside and we shoot our bows until you know we eat dinner. After dinner, we shoot our bows until we can't see our pins anymore. We can't see our arrows anymore. And we do. they do that wow. every day of their lives. Holy That's cow. All, him and Bodie. Bodie probably shoots... You guys are like a thousand arrows a day. Wow. I don't even want to like it. It is in the process is the same every time. And like, like they are absolutely embedded into archery. Mm. They shoot their bows almost every waking daylight hour. That's crazy. That's awesome. Well, here, and I'll, I'll wrap up what I did pretty quickly. So this was a prescription from, uh, for us. He'd be like, Here, here's what, I, you know, you should do. And I did it to a T. And like, you know, I, I kind of am like you. It's like a success story, like victory on the other side of it. It's funny to look back at it now where it's like, dude, I could shoot anything. I feel so comfortable with my, you know, anything. with my process now. So what I did, and it was important to differentiate that explosion versus that negative connotation, which it was more for me, was I had to remove that element from shooting completely. I had to get rid of any negative consequence that would come from me missing my mark. Um, and so the way that I did that was I got rid of the bow completely. I, there was no aiming at anything. I, I, I reduced it to a trainer. Have you ever seen those? It's like looks like a tube and it's got a string that comes out of it. It's just a, yeah, I have one. Yeah. It's just an archery yeah. trainer. And at the same time, I, you know, I took some advice from Carter, whether he was just trying to sell me a release or whatever, but I, I switched to, I know you don't like them, but it's a, it's a thumb button. It's the Carter wise choice. And that's still what I shoot mm -hmm. today. Uh, and, and that's what I recommend mm -hmm. for most people, just cause I have such a good experience. But so I got rid of my, and it is a great release. You still mm -hmm. shoot one, the, the wise guy, wise guy. Yeah. The, the spot hog wise guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great trigger release, but whatever it was, that's what I was shooting when I had target panic. So I had to kind of start from scratch. So I switched to the wise choice and I started with the trainer and it was at the end of the season. It was the right time for me to do it. I just shot that trainer for, I don't know what it was, a month, two months, like somewhere in there. I just, I wasn't shooting my bow. I wasn't like aiming at anything. I was just familiarizing myself with the pro, like with, with that new uh, trigger process and just with what that felt like to go off. There was nothing negative that could happen. I was just shooting it. I was just shooting it. Mm -hmm. And at some point when I was totally comfortable with that, I, I reintroduced the bow without reintroducing aiming. I, so we were blind bailing. So this is shooting my bow, eyes closed at a target that's like two yards away, can't miss type of deal. So now I'm just still, same thing, just process, process, process. Familiar with the, the, you know, the release, familiar with what the bow feels like going off, no aiming, no negative thing that could happen by me missing. And eventually, after another month or so of that, it was like, okay, now open your eyes at two yards, right? And just, and just shoot it mm -hmm. at two yards. It's still almost impossible to miss. Like there is no negative consequence. So just shoot, just do what you've been doing at two yards, you know, after a few weeks at five yards, you know, after a few weeks at 10 yards. And I literally, you know, it's like, if you, you know, if there's any 
bit of a negative connotation. It's like, go, go back, you know, stay, just stay there, stay at 10 yards for another two weeks. And eventually it got to the point where I was like, sure. I, so I wasn't going to have a negative experience. It was all positive, And I was hitting the mark every single time. Sure. Yeah. Yep. So like Joel, what you just described, Joel will do that with you, but in one hour. Okay. And you'll, Joel's process, Joel's process is so two plus two equals four that you'll never go back. There is no negative. You cannot go backwards. There's no negative connotation. Like hmm. wow. always two plus two equals four. And so like, I highly urge you guys yeah, to have sure, him man. on as a guest to sure. buy his course to, and like, um, uh, Jeremy, you should a wise guy. Yeah. I, I think you would do yourself, uh, huge amount of justice to switch from a wise guy to like a, a Carter like Mike. Yeah. Have you ever seen that release? Yes, I have. Like you can then, what is that? Like it's your like wise guy is so, your wise guy is so sensitive that when you get your finger on that trigger, like any movement at all and your bow is going it's off. It's going off. Like, yeah. With, with the like Mike or a B3 or B whatever makes some of these releases. I have a Scott um, yeah. Rhino that I use when I shoot index. When I shoot an index, I'm coming to full draw and I'm wrapping my finger all the way around that target or all the way around that. Yeah. And then I'm opening my hand and I'm moving my arm as a tube backwards. So yeah. Yeah. there's no trigger punt. When I come to full draw, I'm wrapped all the way around and I'm just, just like my hinge. I'm slowly pulling yeah, it, just pop, pulling it, it through. Off and, and then Joel's release, which I have two of them here. Yeah. And it really is the same I thing. I mean, whether you're pulling with your index or you're pulling like my thumb, button, I just can't it, wrap around on mine or it's going to go. Like, even if I, it's going to go tension, you can't, cause I did. I felt like my form when I was shooting that wise guy was, was really good. I, I just, still think, I mean, you're there, but you're, you're still kind of, you, you don't, there's it's not hot. enough movement to it's come hot. through. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's what taking with, all the sensitivity out of it with that Allen screw as well. I mean, uh -huh. to where it's it's yeah, a it's all, a hard trigger, it, heavy uh -huh. trigger. With these other releases, I just think you would do yourself a, a service in what Joel entered in, which I love, and I don't like thumb buttons, but Joel's is genius, and so you. Why not, Donnie? Why don't you like thumb buttons? Thumb around the, I just don't like the movement. Like the movement feels really foreign to me for aiming. Yeah. Like I feel like I'm aiming and then I feel like I don't really know what I want to do. It feels like too big of a movement and too uncertain of a movement. But with Joel's new release, you start pressing on it and then it clicks. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of going through this pre-ignition movement this, mm. before the bow is going off. You're, you're, you're getting comfortable with your thumb on the button. Then you're slowly squeezing it and you hear click and then you just keep slowly squeezing it and the bow goes off. So like you kind of go through this, you're able to get into that. You're able to get into your aim and then leave your aim and get into your trigger pull process. And it's just so slow. And because you're slowly going to that click, you already have that movement. There is no punch. You're not going to punch. Right. It. You can't punch it. Like you're not going to punch. You're just slowly pulling into that click and then you just continue with that slow pull. Yeah. I just think uh, you guys should, it, it's called a, uh, it's from Stan and it's called a, a on X. And I, I think it'd hmm. be a game changer for you as a thumb button. I think it'd be a game changer. And, and really, Jeremy, I think the like Mike or, yeah. or uh, one of these other releases where you can actually get your finger around that yeah. and increase your, um, your spring pressure. And then get it. one of the things that I learned from Joel that I was doing wrong is I'd wrap my finger around that trigger 
and then I was holding on to my uh, release. Yep. And so when I when I would pull, I was pulling sometimes the trigger and the release all at once, and my bow wasn't going off. Yeah. So then Joel taught me like, dude, stop. You don't need the strap to go with you. Right. You wrap around just the trigger and then you're pulling just the trigger back and not and then like like I said it's the the accuracy is stupid. I think that's the men- the mentality there with the the holding onto the release is because my trigger so even you know I've got a hard trigger on that that wise guy it's still super sensitive. So I have to when I hook on to draw it's me holding onto the release to draw. Like my fingers nowhere over the trigger at all because it's super sensitive. Right. Mm. So I'm back yep. in, then I'm coming in to lay over that trigger. Right. Yeah. Well, in, in my mind, I'm still holding onto the release because of just the entire motions of it anyways. Yeah. Mm. There definitely are advantages to that index trigger. Like I, I know it's funny. So because this ties into our conversation here too, I've got a, a buddy, uh, a good friend of mine in Ohio that's like a lifelong cross crossbow guy. He's I don't I think uh, Jed's like thirty mid mid thirties or whatever, and yeah. he just you know he got into hunt, like hunting slowly o- over time, and he's like oh that's kind of interesting this and that, and, and so now he and I hunt you know I hunt a lot of his properties, and and I try to um, I, I come from more I think of a hunting background, and so but he and I have connected on this stuff anyways. I I got him a, a bow. Uh, this year, uh, I I got a uh, got a Venom thirty one, a Venom thirty one from Hoyt, and so I I hooked him up with like you know everything that I shoot and stuff, and so I was spending some time with him in his yard yesterday or a couple days ago, just trying to trying to coach him early on, and I was like, man, I just I really I think take for granted all of the stuff that I know about <laughs> or or that I have you know just a, a accumulated like the shot process over you know since I've been shooting a bow since I was ten years old. And to try to put that all into like, okay, so to do this. And at the same time, you know, so here's your breathing pattern. Here's your thought process. Here's the form on your elbow and also on how this is all going to go off. And, and I realized I was really struggling to get that across to him without like overwhelming him. It's like, Hey, all this stuff has to happen at once, but you have to be totally relaxed and not thinking about <laughs> it at the same time. Yeah. I'm uh, telling you, man, like even like a guy like that, friends of mine that I'm getting into archery, I'm telling him like you're not allowed to buy a bow, or I'm not going to give you a bow. You're not going to shoot until you take Joel's course. Yeah, like, you're taking Joel's course, or you're not going to shoot because if you take Joel's course, just like I said, if yeah. you know, if you learn math in a funny manner, you get all sorts of wrong answers. But if you mm. if you learn it in a linear fashion, and literally Joel kind of has this, um, I'll put it this way: it's like Joel's shooting process is kind of like walking into a house. And so you have to go through the kitchen to get into the bedroom. Yeah. And then the bedroom is where you're going to shoot. But you can't shoot in the bedroom until you go through the kitchen. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people with shooting a bow, they want one foot in the be- kitchen. They want one foot in the bedroom. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to teach you. You have to leave the kitchen to get to the bedroom. And you can't shoot until you're in the bedroom. And so you go through this process. And it's extremely linear. And unless you don't have determination. I've, I've been to probably mm. – six or seven of Joel's clinics. I've seen one guy leave his clinic still a mess when he showed up and I watched the guy and he would literally like, he'd come to full draw and Joel's like, okay, now let's go through the process. I won't tell you his process, but he's like, let's go through the process. He's like, okay, wrap your thumb around the barrel of your release. And it was really funny too, because this guy had like $2,000 in releases in his pocket. (laughs) Like he, he had, 
John Dudley's releases. He had <laughs> Forrest Carter's releases. He had stands. You could tell he was trying to buy his way out yeah. of Target Panic. Uh, yeah. And Joe was like, okay, now just wrap buy your, way out of your thumb around the barrel. And the guy would go, and he'd shoot. And Joe's like, okay, nope. Don't, don't do that. You're not going to do that. And every time I watched the guy, every time he'd get to the barrel, um, the guy would just smash it. And Joel's like, stop doing that. And the guy was like, you know what? I don't think this is working, Joel. And Joel's wow. like, and I asked, I just, I asked Joel when we were leaving, I was like, what was that? And he's like, the guy has zero determination. Yeah. Zero. He doesn't want to change. He doesn't want to wrap his thumb around the barrel. So he, he has no ambition, but I'm telling you guys, Joel's system, which is why he's kind of taking on art. Literally every archer, every hunter needs to take his class. Yeah. period end of story it'll change the way you shoot i promise you is there applicability on that from a traditional side too donnie like oh, 100%. yeah it's all the same stuff yeah so i didn't realize this but when guys are shooting like um recurves yeah guys are kind of doing the same thing they have this same like yeah he started telling me about target panic with recurves i was like what do you mean you have target panic you don't even have a sight like you're just coming to full draw and you're kind of going wing yeah but you're not doing and once I learned, you're not doing that at all. Right. You're like you're coming into your back the same way. Like I shoot my longbow right now off the front of my face. Uh-huh. And so I'm pushing through the target and then I shoot an untriggered release. So almost everyone that shoots a longbow or recurve is shooting with a mechano uh receptor device. They're making a click with their nail. They have a clicker on the limb, right? You guys have seen limb clickers. Yeah. You're like, have you ever seen one of those? Yeah. Yep. You're coming to full draw and you come to full draw, come to full draw. And then when your limb clicks, that's when you release. And that's what's making it sub uh, subconscious release for you. That's what's kind of, that's what your hinge is, right? I don't know when my hinge is going to go off. So when you hit your clicker on your recurve, you don't know when it's going to go off. Or if you're dragging your thumbnail or fingernail, you know, sometimes guys like will push their fingers together. And when their fingers go pop, that's when they release, right? Joel does this thing where he he'll make a he'll push his cheek out and then he'll push his cheek and when it goes when it makes that little fart noise he releases then or Interesting. Uh, a friend of his came out with a really good uh button that you put in your mouth and they just you slowly bite this thing but for me i shoot an untriggered shot so i come to full draw i put my i aim and then i find my tension and then just when i feel like everything's ready and i don't it's not fast but when I feel like everything's ready, I just pop and I just yeah. release. And that's, and that's just, but it's the exact same shooting process. The same thing with a pistol. It's the same thing with a rifle, right? Like there's no, I put the crosshairs on something with a rifle. Crosshairs are moving around. I'm totally fine with it. I'm trying to make that wobble as slow as possible. And, uh, and I was just, when I was just shooting with that Polaris thing, I was shooting a 223 at closer targets, like four and 500 yards. Never shot this gun before in my life. I think it was a piece of crap, actually. The ranch owned it. But I, I take the rifle, and safety's off, and I'm pulling on the trigger, pulling, pulling, and I, and I stop. And I look back at the guy. I click the safety on. I go, hey, something's wrong. Like, the gun's not going off. He's like, just keep going. The trigger's really tough. Yeah. He's like, okay. <laughs> I put on fire. Pull, 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 pull. I'm like, this is I put it back on safe. I turn, I go, Hey, something's wrong. He's like, Donnie. He's like, the trigger is horrible. Yeah. Just stick with it. I go, okay. So I'm shooting at an antelope target. A little steel antelope looks exactly like an antelope 500 yards away. I have it rested on a sandbag, but that's it. Just on a sandbag. I'm not on a bipod, nothing yeah. like that. And I'm watching my crosshairs. You guys like 
let's say this is the antelope. My crossers are like, because mm-hmm. he told me, he's like, you're going to have to be above the back to hit this thing with the, with, with the, the drop. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm literally watching my crosshairs are doing, and then I'm like, goes off and it's a, it was a metal target. So the guy's like Dunk. heart shot, bing. Yeah. And I heart shot, bing, boom. Like I've never shot this gun in my life, but I, my process is the same, no matter what weapon I'm shooting. Yeah. I'm just sitting there shooting this thing. Like I've always heard. And again, I'm not bragging. I've just learned from really good guys, but I've always heard of how hard pistols are to shoot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I bought a pistol and I put a red dot on it, which is of course really accurate cheating. And I went out to my range. I didn't want to shoot in front of everyone, but I went out to my range um, by myself. And I know the mechanics of a pistol, but after I got it sighted in, I literally was going back to like 80 and 90 yards. And my first time shooting a pistol, shooting a human sized head size yep. steel target, hitting it every time at 90 yards. Because wow. I'm literally just putting my red dot on it, holding my pistol with proper form, and I'm just sitting there squeezing through. I have a Glock, and I'm just squeezing through the trigger. Ding! It's yeah. like, same process. I'm it, not sitting there going, oh, God, I hope I hit it. Yeah. I'm just making the wobble as small as possible with that red dot. And then I'm just slowly squeezing the trigger until the gun surprises me every single time it goes off. And it, it's funny you say that man because i shot i shot my first long range rifle competition this year and i i'm not a like i don't i i gun hunt every once in a while but i'm i'm a bow hunter like that's i'm an archery uh-huh. guy and so you know sure. i was shooting i, was, I shot a six five um with it during that competition and again i i shot it literally the day i i put the scope on and sighted it in i shot it that day and i didn't shoot it again until the competition and I, you know, there were 65, 70 guys in this competition. And I think I finished 26th, you know, and mm-hmm. these guys, I assume. And you are probably sh- shot lights out. Yeah, it, um, but it was weird. Like I'm shooting at 700, 800 yards and it's like, I'm almost giving the credit to the gun, but part of it is just, it's the mindset of, you know, I just feel comfortable to your point. Like I knew when everything was solid and my, you know, I'm sure my crosshairs weren't as tight as, as most people, but you know, I'm shooting an Ipsum target or a 12 inch circle or whatever. And it's just like. You know, 10 shots in a row, you know, boom, hit, hit, hit. And it's just, it's a rhythm. It's a, it's a muscle memory thing. And, you know, not to say that like, you know, brag about it by any means, but you just, you find yourself in these repeat situations where, you know, if you become, you know, really proficient at archery or whatever it is, you can apply it to a lot of different things. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I'm talking about. Like you're hitting that 12 inch circle every shot at 800 yards yeah which is incredible it's just that the guys that are the best in the world they have something like levi and like yes. Bodie. they have something that makes their yes crosshair wobble like a fifth of yours so they're hitting the center of that target so they win the matches and you come in 20th yeah but really you're you're the first place guy to you it's really nothing yeah like if you were in a if you were in war if you had to kill another human or you're shooting a deer for your family like Jeremy, you're good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't need to hit. Philip I don't need to hit that. Can like, yes. You know what I mean? Like just cause he can like cross his T's and dot his eyes a little bit better. Yeah. Who cares? Still, if you get the drop on him, he's done. Yeah. That's funny, man. It, it is kind of, it, it's, it's so weird when you see those different, um, it, cause it's all mental, right? Yeah. There is a physical asset around that, it, you know, in, in terms of what you need to, to do, but 
you know, it is it is literally a mental thing. Even on some of those targets, it's like whatever, 10 shots at each target station. You know, in the first two shots, my mind has adjusted so much to where the next seven I'm 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 on target. Right? I'm off on the first one, yep. whatever, high or, or left or right. Boom, I make an adjustment. Okay, I'm almost there. Boom, now I'm hitting. Repeat, 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 repeat. And you just do it. That's why Bodie's shooting a yep. thousand arrows. He goes out there, picks up his bow, and it's just it's just instant. It's just natural and instinctive. And I mean, that's what we all hope in a bow stand, right? When that opportunity comes through, we all practice and shoot and repeat so that it is hopefully instinctive when that opportunity comes up. <laughs> well, and, and and that's the thing that I'm even saying. So I totally agree with you, but also like with Bodie, because he uses his dad's system. Yeah. None of that really matters. Like he doesn't have to, his, his mental game and his repeatability has nothing to do with emotion. Like mm. he is just, that's why he won Vegas at, was it 15? 15 years old. Vegas at 15. Yeah. yeah because shooting that target is and like he told me this year he lost vegas i think he came in fourth yeah and i go i was like man i was like Bodie, like because i thought he was just going to start stacking up and he's like oh i will he's like i will he's like i made a uh fatal error this year and he and he goes i know i know that i made it and now i know what i did wrong and he's like but there's no room for interpretation he's just that's so crazy. he comes a full draw and he buries his pin in that center and he does his job every single time. And his mind, even though his heart's beating out of his chest, his mind won't let him shortcut. There's no shortcuts. To get to the bedroom, he's got to go through the kitchen. Can't get in the bedroom until he's done in the kitchen. So he's got to get through the kitchen. So for him to shoot that arrow at the target at Vegas, doesn't care if it's in his backyard or in Vegas, he's got to go through the kitchen first. Can't shoot that arrow until he gets to the bedroom. Yeah, that, that'll be cool. We'll definitely have to check out that course because that, oh, that yeah. sounds awesome. Well, for no other, you know, Jed's a great excuse to pick that up. And mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure Joel can explain a lot. In fact, I found myself uh, wishing that, you know, the guy that taught me form it, which was the bow shop we were at yesterday, mm -hmm. and it was small tweaks, you know, from, from year to year. It's the, the bow shop that I've been yeah. going to since I was 10. Yep. Tim, the guy that, you know, he and Jason run it. Um, uh, when I was showing Jed in the backyard, I was like, man, I wish, wish Tim was here, you know, to, to kind of just like get, yeah. give him the same subtle coaching, you know, it, he was coaching us yesterday when he was we were coaching in us yesterday. Thing. And it was, I was so grateful for it. But yeah. the reality too, though, is I do think even with the perfect process, like it does, it does take time. I think just, um, just, yeah. just time, muscle memory, shooting your bow. The thing with Jed too is like, and, and I don't necessarily know how to overcome this. He's, he's right. Uh, he's left eye dominant, but he's right handed. That's me. Really? Really? Oh you know, yeah, big time. Like when I'm even when I'm shooting a shotgun, like I can read the words on the barrel. Wow. So you're you're right eye dominant right eye dominant. Yeah. I'm left eye dominant, I shoot right handed. Okay. I'm left eye dominant. Shoot uh, right handed. So I should, in theory, if I was just learning today, you would try to teach me how to shoot a bow left handed. Yeah. But you don't? No, I shoot right handed. Interesting. So how how does that work? Because mm -hmm. I thought I always thought you had to shoot to the eye. No, it's just like I have to like you know squint my eye or you know just. Like oh, I guess you can, you just can't have your other one open. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but sometimes you start to learn your sight picture, and I can like I shoot my longbow with both eyes. I open. I was gonna ask if you shot and, uh, trad yeah. both eyes open. Yeah, yep. I do. And, and often I, I'm also shooting my compound very often with both eyes open. I just know what the sight picture looks like. Interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Well, I yeah. hope I hope I'm not messing that up for Jed because we got him a left-handed bow. That's what he wanted. But I I can't imagine myself. I'm I'm right eye dominant, right-handed. Even if I was left eye dominant, trying to shoot the other mm-hmm. way, like it's just so so awkward. You know, I've tried to mm-hmm. I've tried to just mess with his. That bow was a little part bit. of that long-range competition. One of the stations is to shoot opposite hand, opposite Off eye. Hand, the opposite. Yeah. yeah, and it it, it wow. frankly it was the best station I performed at. Huh. Like it, I You're like, am I left eye dominant? Yeah, it was like nine <laughs> out of ten out of. Well, it was just it, again. It's just all. I don't know. Do, you just know. Jeremy, it. do you want to know why? Yes, I do. Because you went slower. Yeah, took my time. That's why. Because your mind didn't have a shortcut for the left side. It has all the bullshit shortcuts <laughs> right. for the right side. Yeah. At least it thinks it does. So you skip steps on the left side. You're a fish out of water, so your brain yeah. is pulling the trigger slower. Your wobble on the target is smaller because your brain doesn't have any shortcuts for the left side. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's oh, why. That's crazy, man. Mm. Yeah, because I I definitely what I mean. My first shot was whatever seven seconds into the stage, whereas on the normal side, it's you know two seconds in, I'm firing the first shot off. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's wild. Makes sense. And honestly, I did. I ran out of time. Because it's a time stage, you have ten shots. Yep. I ran, I was nine for nine, and I ran out of time because I was slower. Mm. Going slow, and that's part of the thing of like um, with Joel's process. Like, not to make this podcast about Joel, but I've just learned so much from him. Like, you know, you have to go to the kitchen, get to the bedroom. You can't shoot till you get to the bedroom. You don't have to go through the kitchen fast. Right. Go through the kitchen slow. Enjoy it. Take your time, and then when you get to the bedroom, like you have a separate job, but you have to shut the door between the kitchen and the bedroom before you can even enter into the bedroom. Like you just can't get in there until the door is shut. And so like it's, that's the whole thing is slowing this process down and, and, and same with like shooting an animal or, or, you know, like imagine the pressures of having to, uh, you know, shoot a guy in, at, you know, in yeah. time of combat and like slowing down and, you know, he's trying to get the drop on you. You're trying to get the drop on him. And like that whole thing, you watch the guys in their ghillie suits, right? Whether it be in a movie or, or you're envisioning like a real scenario, like, that guy's in a ghillie suit and he has this guy next to him calling this. And I have a lot of friends that are real time snipers that I get to work with now. And like, you know, they're clicking their, their safety off. And like they're, you know, this from shooting your PRS, you know, mm-hmm. their cheeks are buried into their oh, stock, yeah. right? No interpretation here. This is how I shoot yep. my trigger. No one, no interpretation. This is how I pull my trigger. I know my crosshair wobble. I know what my rifle is going to do, but there's no interpretation. Yeah, I cannot do the fourth job until the third job's complete. Yeah. If you try to shortcut all these jobs, you're a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wild, man. You don't deal. You don't have any target panic, right? No, never yeah. have. Never have. Luckily, yeah. Knock on wood. I I don't know. Um, the 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 kind of unknown is recurve. So I started off shooting a recurve when I was whatever nine, ten, eleven years old. Um, and then went away to, you know, to compound since then. And, and last year was the first time I really started picking recurve back up. And I love it because it's just challenge, experience, everything around it. I'm still, I'm, I'm comfortable with it, but I'm not confident with it, if that makes sense. You didn't have anybody show you how to shoot it, right? No, I just picked it up. And Do you think you're shooting it? Do you think you're doing it right? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea whatsoever, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have no idea. Because well, we all had at least some input, I like mean, coaching on how to shoot a Yeah, out. fortunately, there's, you know, YouTube and everything, so I try to watch. You are watching some stuff. Yeah, but okay. I mean, I still don't know. In, in the hard part for me, and you know this, like on, on my bow, because I shoot that trigger release, I, I have a kisser button. That's my anchor point. Yeah. 
So when, and I'm Donnie, I'm kind of like you, I don't think I have a trigger on my recurve. Like I, there's not something that clicks or, or I, it's just, I feel mm-hmm. everything kind of come together and then I know, and, and I, almost in a You are looking side. for an anchor point though. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I do. Okay. Um, but that, that's still different for me coming from a, you know, a compound trigger where it's like kiss her button. I'm on, yeah. let it rip. Um, you know, I don't have that facial thing. Now I do with my recurve. Um, but it's, it's really, it's a huge, it's 20 years of compound bow trying to exit my brain to a recurve side. Sure. So yeah, I don't know if I'm shooting correctly <laughs> at, by any means, you know, do I shoot three fingers under? Do I shoot? I, I personally am shooting two, two under one above, but I've seen a lot of people say, well, I would always shoot three under. I don't know. That's per- like, I started shooting three under. But how I would shoot, I started shooting like this. My anchor point would be right here. Yep. And then when I release, my fingernails were cutting a hole in my face. Uh huh. <laughs> so Joel's like, you're a very determined guy. So you're able to take that pain. Like it got to the point so bad that when I would release, blood would spray on Joel's face. <laughs> oh right? boy. So like, wow. That's so intense. So he's like, hey, like, like we got to change something up. Yeah. So then, um, you're getting then blood I went to split finger. Yeah. And I would come over my cheekbone. Yeah. And then I would release. I was releasing like that, but I think because I'm left eye dominant, right handed, like I could be decently accurate that way. But also sometimes my arrow would go, you know, 18 inches to the left because of your left eye dominant. And and I wouldn't know. Yeah. To where now I do a three. My bow's right here. One second. So now you guys, I, I come in, I come in right off my face like this Yep. into where now, because I'm coming in like right off my chin, Mm. I'm looking right down my arrow. So now like, you know, before I was kind of like shooting things like this to the side or like this, I guess. So I'm looking at things like this. So that's what I'm looking at for my arrow. Yep. And now I'm looking at things like this. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause I'm coming off the front of my face as well. Yep. And then when I release, I'm literally like my shoulders down. I'm pushing through the target. Yep. And then when I release, you know, my, like my scapula is buried. Yeah. And I'm kind of just going, just like, trying to pop, pop I'm it just back popping through. See, that's what my thing. Cause I'm shooting off the front of my face. Now that I've gotten more comfortable with it before I was trying to come back further, but two things. Number one, I, I was struggling. At 50, that's what I'm noticing pounds, as Donnie's pulling is it's, the draw length is not nearly as long. That's right? the, that's the compromise that I had to make in my head is that I thought I was giving up draw length cause I couldn't get it back and yeah, anchor with your compound. You're locked in behind. Exactly. Your Where this is like, I'm almost cheating my, my draw length. Cause it's, you know, I'm ending up shorter on my face basically. Yeah. So that was the mental thing that I was having the most issues with when I start and I was super inconsistent because my anchor point was changing every time, you know, trying to figure out where, where did I need to be to hold it? The Hunter podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Dude, where would we be without our Hoyt bows? Probably shooting crossbows (laughs) or or a Matthews. (laughs) One in the same, but in all seriousness, we love being Hoyt guys because you stand out when you're in this room full of other people that shoot these other types of bows. I feel like the Hoyt guys just stick out. Dude, it's just a legit bow. I mean, especially that carbon riser, man. I mean, I I know that they've got several other aluminum lines as well. But for me, I'm shooting that RX-5 uh, in the carbon model. They've since come out with the RX-7. And uh, I can't. 
can't tell you how much I love being a Hoyt guy amongst a sea of Matthews guys. So we're out there, I think, pr- proving them wrong, shooting 80 pounds and, uh, you know, killing stuff. Hey, man, if you want to get serious, get Hoyt. No, so what we were, Jared was saying about, um, you know, being that it comes up on kind of the front of your face, it feels like your draw length isn't isn't long, right? And that was my hardest right. kind of conceptualization there of I was trying to get it back further on my, you know, on my cheekbone or something. Yes. But frankly, I was, yep. I was struggling because I, I was shooting a 52-pound recurve. Like getting it back that extra four or five inches, I mean, that's a – it's a str- by the time I got there, I was shaking so bad that I had to go. Like I had to break on it. Yes. Yeah. Versus yeah, yeah, yeah. now where I'm I'm anchoring more on the front of my face. I feel much more confident in the slow process to the front of my face to even to hold and then I can, you know, break her back. Yeah. It's a weird and that's the same for me. Like it felt weird to come to the front at first because like it does seem so short. Yeah. But but really my arrow is still Oh you know, yeah, it's, it's a whole weird process, right? Because my arrow's only flying like I don't even know. It's, it's like a hundred and fifty <laughs> yeah. feet a second, something yeah. like that. But yeah. still, I'm shooting, uh, you know, a six hundred grain arrow, if you will. Yeah. And um, and with uh with a fixed blade broadhead, and when it hits a deer, or elk, moose, grizzly bear, whatever, like it's blowing through it. What what uh grain broadhead are you shooting? Uh, two hundred. Yep. Yep. And I'm shooting a Cayuga out of um, out of Australia right now. Kind of yeah. has a, it's it's a freaking really, really bad super sharp, it's, super it's tough, super sharp. And it has I have one right here. Um, this is one of my practice arrows, and I'm shooting aluminums this year, which I'm stoked about. Mm. The old XX 75s. Oh yeah. But this is what the broadhead looks like. Oh, very cool. Single bevel it. And then I don't have them on here right now, but there'd be bleeders. You have bleeders on them. There will be bleeders on here. So like when this thing hits, like I shot a, um, I shot basically a 400 pound, seven foot, one inch black bear with this, this year. And, um, I shot him in the last minute of light and my arrow went in. I didn't realize it's my mistake, but I thought he was more broadside and he was actually pretty severely quartering too. Mm. And I hit him just slightly off my mark, but it went through basically like back of ribs, uh, single lung guts, and then hit him in the ham, mm. hit him on the inside thigh. So this is a 400 pound, seven foot black bear. And the arrow blew through his thigh Dang, out of my longbow. So like, are those like the old, yeah, like old young. school double, double X 75s like that we would have shot yeah. when yeah, I was this, a kid yeah. as a compound? Yeah, this is like from 1983. That's freaking awesome. That's the arrow you're talking about. That's yeah. year because they're they, they just shoot so good. And then um, I have um, um, I designed my wraps with uh, Kyle mm. Davison of of DCA Custom Arrows, a freaking unbelievable arrow maker. And uh, and then there's a guy out of uh, Indiana um, called Wild Fletch. It's so freaking cool. He makes all of my arrows out of wild turkey feathers. Whoa. So he dyes them and cuts them and does whatever I need out of them. But they are, uh, I moved them downstairs, but they are stunning. And so he did some for me this last year that were mint green. And then these ones I'm going to have done as, as a kind of a bright red to, as a tribute to Chuck Adams. But, um, the feathers last because they're from wild turkeys. Yeah. The feathers last, uh, an incredible amount of time. 
Yeah. Damn, that's cool. Really, man. really tough. Something nostalgic what, about what, those aluminum arrows. What's your dude. who who made your longbow then this year? Um, this guy named Eric Hoff um, from St. Patrick Lake Longbows, and um, this is called a uh, this is called a Mushin stick, and uh, so what's the wood? The wood is bamboo. Okay. This this black is G10, which is kind of like that indestructible mega plastic that a lot of the bow makers use. Like yep. this is, I guess I guess this was quite a discovery when they discovered G10 because it's like they use drill bits. I really don't know what I'm talking about, but I've been told <laughs> they use drill bits, like almost like to drill to work on like diamond type stuff because oh, wow. that stuff is so dense and so tough. Mm. And then the front of my bow is actually carbon fiber. Oh, but um, dang. But I didn't like that look, so Eric went through and he put a little bit of a material on the front of it, kind of a sealant, and then he lightly sanded it and then painted it the red that I wanted to kind of emulate. You guys know who Chuck Adams oh, is? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so so Chuck always used red fletchings on his XX78 Super Slams because he could see red and deer can't, right? So he always used saw it. Um, and then the back is kind of that traditional kind of mint green. Yeah if you will, or the belly, I guess this is the back. That stuff is so weird, but Eric Hoff and it's a takedown, right? So the grip comes apart so I can take this like fit in my backpack to go uh, flying into Alaska or whatever. That's awesome, man. Very cool. Are you, are you pretty much hunting exclusively with that this year? Yeah. And I did the, I, I hunted with flips bow all of last year. I didn't touch a compound. I haven't touched it. I've hunted once with a compound in, in two years. Wow. You were saying at the beginning, though, you were wanting to get back into it? Well, I just want to shoot. I just like shooting different (laughs) things. Like, I love rifle shooting. I love pistol shooting. And and, um, and I just – I don't want to get away from necessarily my skill set, but I just – and I I have a – you know, I used to shoot for PSE, but um, I just think it's probably wise for me to have – uh a compound shut up you know like set up and 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 ready to go and like uh i have a big project being offered to me right now from another company they want to do a um did you guys see that film that i did called winds of adac with benelli yeah so this other company wants to do a version of that but much much smaller um and hopefully much less dangerous than that film (laughs) um They want to do something and they're like, we want to film you hunting. This is not a hunting company or a hunting brand, but they're like, we want to film you hunting and all this stuff. And, and they're like, it'd be great. They only want to film for like three or four days. And they're like, it'd be great if you kill the deer. And so like, I really don't feel handicapped very much at all. Obviously I can shoot much better and much further with a compound, but, um, I just think like on a project like that, it'd probably be advantageous for me to, you know, be able to grab a compound. Sure. Like, okay, let's go let's go hunt deer for three or four days and, and, yeah. um, and I'll shoot a deer. I'm not going to necessarily maybe shoot a giant, but I'll shoot a doe or yeah. an older buck or whatever, if I get the opportunity and it um, might look more relatable so to from a compound archery side versus yeah. uh, the tra- mm-hmm. It's so funny to think that, but I mean, the trad bow population is very, very small in today's society. Very, tiny. very small. Yeah. You know, especially with the advent tiny. of crossbows. I mean, it's I would like, say even the compound bow guys are d- dwindling. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, crossbows probably predominate most of the archers. Oh, I hate you know. that. God, I hate that. Yeah, we, oh, we no, get, they do for hate, sure, especially in the east. I mean, we, we, we get slaughtered the numbers for it quite a <laughs> pretty, bit. Pretty, pretty hard. And, well, well, dude, the numbers don't lie. Like, what yeah. was it? Was it uh, 
was it over 50 or was it 75% of Ohio's? 70%. 70% of Ohio's uh, archers. Deer harvest last year, the archery harvest was crossbow. Yeah, stupid. It's crazy. So stupid. Like yeah. if you're an able, if you're an able-bodied male under the age of 60, get out of your oh, yeah, Thank you, Donnie Vincent. He finally, uh, we get shit get for it. Uh, we get shit for it a lot, man. And it's well, not, it's because we bring it up so often. I try not to harp well, on it, you know. But, but it's, it, it, the, the, the reality is it has such a massive impact on archery hunting in the United States. I mean, the, the fact that more and more states are, are making it part, like a legalized archery equipment as crossbows, like it is it is changing the face of archery. Well, see, I'd be interested so to get fast. your guys' perspective, you know, because you guys are both shooting with recurves now. It's like, it would be a similar advent of crossbows to recurve bows as crossbows are to compound bows, correct? No. Uh, no, 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 no. Because shooting a cop humbo still takes, uh, you know, it still takes a tremendous amount of skill to shoot sure. one well, whether it be five yards or a hundred yards, but a, a crossbow is to me, that's a killing tool. It should be looked at, uh, like a firearm. Like I, I, I bought a bow for my dad when he was probably in his upper fifties. He had never bow hunted before. And I took him bow hunting for a year or two with a, with a compound, uh, he actually shot a small doe once and it was awesome. Um, but I, you know, he'd come to full draw and he was at the legal minimum in Wisconsin. I think it was 40 pounds for weight. But yeah. He'd come to full draw and like he was shaking Yeah, and like he had to shoot within like five seconds or else he had to let down. Yeah. He only had a few, you know, he wasn't a very strong guy. So I was like, you know what, dad, next year we're going to switch to a, uh, a, a crossbow. We did. It was awesome. We started killing deer. He actually killed the biggest deer on one of my leases here in Wisconsin, which was so sick. Um, you can see it like on my Instagram, but he killed, a, I think it was a seven and a half or eight and a half year old whitetail, like 142 inch eight pointer, absolutely massive, massive mm. buck. We killed him on November like 14th one time in a, in a misting rainstorm over a beanfield regardless, but it was awesome. But like, um, that's what it's for. It's for yeah. people with dis disabilities. Is for older gentlemen or women. And if you are an able-bodied male that wants to shoot a crossbow in season, uh, it needs to be a gun season. It needs to be during gun season, or it needs to be like if you want it in archery season, like if you want to have a crossbow season in archery season, have it be two or three days long and have it be after the rut. Yeah. yeah. And that's what it should be. Like no one else should be shooting because what's happening is, you know, unfortunately, archery sales are are uh, way up. Archery license sales are way up. So all the states sit there and go, yep. oh, yeah, this is great. We get to take that money and spend it on, well, probably embezzlement, really, if we're <laughs> actually like crossing T's and dotting I's. They really are padding probably their pockets. And so the, that money's not going back into wildlife. It's doing anything but going back into wildlife. They're literally just pocketing it to do whatever it is. And um, and really, I think I'd much rather like you, you guys are in Pennsylvania, you said, yep. but you hunt Ohio. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather like right now, my archery tag in Illinois is like 400 bucks. Yeah, I'd rather my archery tag be two thousand mm. dollars and you don't allow crossbow hunters in in Illinois until like the short gun seasons. Like there's no difference it, anyone has to learn a major skill to shoot a, a compound bone. Like I have no, like if you're a trad shooter, 
and you're against compound bow hunting, you're a moron. If you're a trad shooter and you think, oh, it's got training wheels, it's got a sight, you're a moron. Like it's still extremely difficult to shoot a <laughs> uh, a compound bow. And I would and I would challenge any of those trad guys, which are the weirdest group of human beings on the face oh, of the yeah. earth, potentially. <laughs> yes. I would challenge any of these trad guys that sit there and go, oh, you got training wheels. All right, buddy. Then let's go get let's go get two identical compounds. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shoot a compound. You're going to shoot a compound. Let's see who, let's see what's up. Yeah. Let's see who can shoot whatever, because it really comes down to a weapon. But when you're talking crossbows, I have no problems with crossbows, but if they're going to be used during archery season, it needs to be with somebody with a disability or an elderly person that can't hold the weight of a bow at full draw. Yeah. Otherwise I don't even want to hear about it because you're killing too many deer. You're and of course they're selling too many licenses and now you're harvesting. I think Illinois is the same thing. I think the archery harvest is now oh yeah to the it is gun harvest yeah. yeah and so people you know and people might look at this and say oh you know like have something to say but i could i could literally give a rat's ass what your opinion is like i agree this is, man this is how it should be yeah i mean my arguments are always uh my seven-year-old can pick up a crossbow and kill a deer at 30 yards he can't pick up a compound and even draw it let alone kill a deer at 30 yards that's the only argument i need yeah. and there's no barrier of entry you didn't earn anything yeah, you didn't. You you haven't invested at all in this skill whatsoever. Like, um, if I'm learning how to build a fire using a bow drill, I'm really learning how to build a fire. I'm re- even if using a flintstone, I'm really learning how to use a tool to build a fire. But if somebody's going to give you a, a, a grill lighter and a gallon of gas, like, yeah. no, that we're not both fire starters. <laughs> That is a great analogy. That might be the best one I've heard yet, Donnie. Huh. So, so Donnie, you and think, so you yeah, think- I just think it, no one has any justification. Like this argument cannot be. And really, if and and a lot of people will say, I hate this term. Also, people say, Well, I'm a meat hunter. Well, I'm you know, yeah. and, and then like you know, somebody might say like I'm a you know I hunt for trophy bucks or whatever, and, or I'm a meat hunter. And and really, um, I think on average polls have shown that if people are hunting more wild country and bigger bucks that their pure enjoyment goes up of the experience so even if you're going to shoot a smaller buck and that's your prerogative and you should have zero um no one should feel any shame for shooting a doe or a yearling buck a basket six whatever like if that's what you want like 100 percent um that's your prerogative you should be able to do that but it should be in a woods that also holds mature deer. Sure. That's what I think anyway. And what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, uh, so, you know, there, you know, there, there are people like, let me, let me just pick on lean Tiffany for a second. There are people like lean Tiffany who only want to shoot 200 inch. Right. Yeah. And then there are guys that are just go out in the woods and they have their rifle or their shotgun or their bow. And they're like, any legal deer that comes by me, I'm going to shoot it because I just want the meat, the skin, whatever. Yeah. I, I totally agree with both philosophies. I just think you, everyone should be able to hunt in an area that is truly wild, whether that be, and by that, I mean kind of the embodiment of the woods and there should be mature bucks in that in that woods, in that state, whatever it is, like you should be doing the best by the wildlife as humanly possible to be a conservationist and then be a hunter. I understand. Yeah. So you're saying, does that uh, make sense? Yeah. I think the harvest is too high. 
Yeah, well, like yeah. The, the deer herd should be managed in such a way that we do have a healthy age structure. We do have mature deer, but, you know, there needs to be a healthy enough population that, you know, people should be allowed to shoot whatever they want to shoot. That's right. That, that comes back like to the so. argument that we have often about opportunity, right? It, the, the, you know, and I, I blame states mainly, but it, it's the, the constant creation of more opportunity by liberalizing seasons, bag limits, weapons, whatever, right? Um, and, and their thought of it being a good thing, I don't look at like just more and more and more and more opportunity as being good for our wildlife resources, mm-hmm. nor do I think is it no. good for, for our hunting community. We've talked about the... You know, I'm sure the three of us, when we were younger, we we had a grind to to succeed at hunting. And frankly, the more opportunity and the more liberalization that's out there for seasons and weapons and everything, the less a new hunter has to work to become successful at hunting. And the and the passion. Oh, I took I took every shortcut possible. Yeah. Yeah. And then I realized, holy cow! Like I, you guys, I almost I've told this story a few times. I guess maybe I almost poached a deer one night. I literally almost illegally poached a deer because I was hunting this huge, huge buck in Wisconsin. It's probably 175 inches, probably seven years old, something that I watched him for years and years. And, um, I was hunting him on this property and, and, um, it's funny. I told this story to a game warden once and he just kind of like, but I didn't do it. So it's yeah, (laughs) I didn't, but, um, I was, and if I didn't, you never know. I, I had to leave early to meet go to an appointment and i had been hunting this deer so i was like okay i have to get out of the tree by 4 15 whatever Mm -hmm. so i got out of the tree i got out of the tree during legal light but by the time i got to my pickup truck it was after legal light by like five minutes or something like that but i was walking through this bean field and i i come around a corner out of this woods and i have to sneak past this bean field and i look in the bean field and there's this 175 inch whitetail and he's probably 20 yards from me i've got my bow i got my quiver I've got my release on. I'm wearing a headlamp. It's on red. But like the deer sees the red or he sees the glowing or whatever. And he starts coming towards me. And I was like, oh, oh my God. And it was a minute after legal shooting light. Yeah. Maybe two minutes after legal shooting light. I was like, oh my God. Like I grabbed an arrow. Like I took an arrow out of my quiver and I was like, and I literally, I put my arms open. I'm like, yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, you're going to shoot this animal and then what? And then I'm going to tell all my buddies that it mm. came in during legal light or I'm going to tell my buddies like I got down early. And then every time I look at it on the wall, I'm going to feel like a complete scumbag because I took an animal's life. And so I very quickly realized as I was growing up, all these different advantages I started backing away from them. I'm not saying that that's why I shoot a longbow right now. I shoot a longbow right now because I really like watching the arrow flight and it's really challenging for me. And it's really kind of fun to, it's just a very rewarding process. Like last year I had a couple of one eighties walk by at like 30 yards. Mm. And I was like, well, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Like I, I'm not even reaching for my bow. Like that was kind of <laughs> cool. Like, you know, like, and then, you know, like for me, it was like, oh, he's maybe going to come by later on. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and so anyway, but um, I just realized that the more like, and I'm not saying anything to you guys, so please don't. In fact, I have a property here in Wisconsin that I'm, I'm actually talking to you guys on right now. Um, and, but I let my neighbor hunt it. Like, I don't even hunt it. I let my neighbor hunt it, which is really funny because he came down to ask permission. He didn't know who I was. He came down to ask permission to see if he could hunt my property when I bought it. 
and he knocked on the door and I let him in and I literally have like you guys can see like I you know, <laughs> sheep, sheep and I just, the, the skins and skulls and antlers are everywhere and so he, I go hey come on in and he comes in he's like he looks around he goes never mind <laughs> so you hunt yeah. and I go yeah I do and he's like oh, never, he's basically like never mind yeah, I go never mind. no 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 what he goes I was, I was coming down to see if I could hunt your land I was like I don't know let's talk about it and so we started talking and, and then I basically was like, Hey man, I'm gone most of the year. Like I'm gone a lot. Like this is a beautiful little piece of woods. It's got three ponds on it. It's like, why don't you hunt it? Like you hunt it. And then we'll, and so it's just kind of cool. Cause even when I'm not hunting here, I kind of get to hunt it via his stories. But anyway, I digress. But my point is that just, he uses, um, cell cameras. Yep. Okay. I hate cell cameras. Like I'm pretty much against cell cameras, but all the properties I hunt with buddies, they all use cell cameras. In mm -hmm. fact, the one property that I have in Illinois, we as a group own like 30 cell cameras and I have a login. I can just log in. <laughs> I can see all the pictures. Not once ever have I logged in. Like, um, it's so funny. Some of my partners would be like, oh my God, like there's Bill. I'm like, holy cow, that thing has gotten big. And I was like, hey, can you text it to me? He's like, it's on our log in just go on there and i'm like no, no i'm not yeah. i don't have any interest and and i used to do that with trail cameras too it's like i set trail cameras and i check them on monday and i'd be like oh my god he was here yeah you know i did that when i hunted steve like oh my god he was here and then i very quickly realized like oh my god you're a day or a week or a month behind every time every time so now now i go set all my trail cameras and i probably set 50 trail cameras a year across the country <laughs> Um, and I set them in bottlenecks and I set them in extreme crossings, things like that. I don't set them like, and sometimes on scrapes, when I see a scrape, or whatever, I'll keep one or two in my backpack when I'm hunting and I just leave them for the year. And I, if I'm walking past one, I might switch cars out or something and just take a look at it for entertainment, but I just leave them for the year. But then I go back and look at them later and I really learn, okay, this is who was there. This is what they were doing. This is really cool. Mm. I see their behavior. They're juxting for position or they're in here eating like i'll find a food source like i just found um i was on a property two weeks ago and i found two crab apple trees that i didn't know existed and i found some deer poop under them that was kind of wet and slimy so i was like oh, i wonder if they're keying in on these crab apples which is making their stools loose you know because they're just eating a little bit too much fruit so i put a camera over it and i'll check it next year i'll you know, I'll let September and maybe October blow by before I check the camera. Or maybe I'll let the whole season blow by. And then I'll check that. And I'll learn a lot about those two crab apple trees for next opening for day. For next year. Like yeah. maybe mm -hmm. they're maybe they're done eating there in September. I don't know. Maybe they maybe they visited a little bit the first week of October. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I'll I'll figure that out. But my point is cell cameras, even releases and stuff, compound bows, like there's a certain level that I'm for me, I'm comfortable with. If if I, I shoot um, fixed blade broadheads, but um, Jared, if you want to shoot a mechanical broadhead, I'm totally fine with that. I get it. You want to make a huge hole in this animal. I totally appreciate that. Uh, I shoot an arrow for if I make a bad shot, you know, and, and all these different things. But there are, there is a level for me personally that there's a line in the sand and, yeah. I, and I try not to yeah. cross it because I, I see my appreciation for my own time. 
degrading once I cross that line. Oh, yeah. Yep. Agree. Well, check this out, dude. You might find this interesting. And, and since you, you brought him up, I'll use him as the example. Uh, you know, Lee Likoski, we've obviously got, we don't know Lee personally, but a lot of respect for, you know, he's mutual a, friends. He's an awesome guy. Yeah. For everything he's done. Awesome and like, guy. Yeah. We really, you know, I think look up, look up to a lot of what he does conservationally speaking. And like, we aspire to kill the kind of deer that that guy kills. I, I was watching. Yeah, a, he's uh, amazing. He's amazing. Yeah. And we know a lot of people that are close friends with Lee. And so I, you know, I can speak through them that I think he's a great guy, but, um, I heard him say something on, you know, video that they put out a couple of weeks ago that like I, I was personally conflicted by, cause I was like, man, I, while I am intrigued and like w- would also want to feel the way that, you know, this statement was put out there. I also have this sense of, I think what you're saying of like wanting to self-restrict, wanting to back off and, um, I, I think like on either end of the spectrum, it's, it's not necessarily this black and white, but on one hand you have, you know, total element of surprise. How do I just immerse myself in a hunting experience? I'm only reading sign. I'm not using additional tools, you know, whether it's with a traditional bow or whatever, wherever that is for you, you know, no, cell cams obviously are, are a huge one. Um, the other end is extreme herd management. I'm the most effective at knowing what deer are there, what the age class is, exactly how they're moving on a pattern. Um, ex- extreme herd management. And so Lee's statement was something like, not in a braggadocious way, but it's just as a matter of fact, he's like, he's like, we used to like, you know, there would be deer on the hit list. And like, you know, if we got one, it was really cool. And he's like, anymore, it's like, if there's, he's like, if there's a deer on our hit list, he's like, it's already dead. He's like, it, really? It, it's done. Yeah. Wow. And, and his attitude, he's that, he's, he, he is that good. He's that good. Like he's, yeah. they've got their he's herd that, that dialed in. They've got so much manipulation to their property and stuff. It's like, and, and whether he was exaggerating or, or not, I mean, it didn't seem like it. He's, he's like, not. Yeah. He's like, if it's, it's on dead. the hit list, he's like, I'm, yeah. I'm going to kill it. It'll be probably this day. Wow. Same, think, same with Mark Drury. Yeah. Mark's the same way. Mark? Yeah. We know yeah, Mark. We yeah. Mark will be like, yeah, this buck, you know, like, uh, yeah, this, uh, you know, he'll send me a picture. He'll, it's so funny. He always texts me. He's like, Hey, don't send this out. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> and then he'll send me like all these pictures and then, um, he'll be like, yeah, this buck, check this buck out. And I'll go cool. He's like, I'm probably going to shoot him like October 5th, uh, yeah. maybe six, seven, something like that. And then he'll text me like October 6th. Like, yeah, I just shot him. And dude, that's Lee's a, literally calling a shot. He, there's this deer he's chasing. Sure. He's like, it'll be October 2nd. He's, and, and, and he's that's looking that at the moon spectrum, primarily. And he's like, you know, it'll of, be October of here is the ultimate herd management knowing of the, the property. Which and is cool. It's, it's amazing it. that somebody can reach that level of like, you know, yeah. understand or control over their herd. And they don't have intrusion, you guys. Yeah. They don't have intrusion. Yeah. So like when Lee goes in there October second, it's the first, first time. First time. Been in there. It's it's fresh. That, yeah. that deer has no idea. That deer's been in there October second the last five years, mm-hmm. and now today when he goes in there on October second, Lee's there. Yeah. Well, and that's and the Lee that's the struggle, man. Because like nobody, I'm sure even the three of us, like we all want a challenge. We love the challenge. That's probably why we, the experience, the challenge. It's that's one of the things we we just you know yearn year round. At the same time we talk about it on public land. Like the last thing I want to do is go in public land in Ohio and for four days in a row, it's just guys walking in on me. It ruins my experience. No. It ruins my challenge with that deer. Well, it's, you want both. You, you want both ends of the spectrum. You want, you know, as much surprise, as much organic experience as possible. But I also want to kill the 200 inch deer. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I was like, how, where yeah. do you, where do you yeah. draw the line yeah. in between so that I can achieve both or as close to both as possible? I think you said it best at one point. It was the unpressured deer. Like I want to hunt deer in their yeah. element with the best experience. And the way to do that is they need to be unpressured. Yeah. They need to be in their own element. That's Listen, what's so great you, about the Dakota. You want to see. 
you want to see the deer's biology. Yes. That's what you want. That's what you're really craving is because yeah. if you're an articulate, in tune person, you really, this is how I feel. I don't want to project this on you guys. I really don't care about killing deer. I don't even really care about hunting deer. I'm a hunter. I want to feel their fur under my hand. I want to watch my knife glide under their skin. I want to skin them. I want to pick that quarter up and feel the, the crust of blood that forms on it as I'm laying it on the tarp or on the, or on the game bag or whatever. That's the aspect that I want to live. But really I'm just there because I love the deer. Yes. I want to watch, 100%. I want to watch their biology. And if I'm watching them run, if, if, if the three of us are doing a, deer drive and I'm yeah. this bucks hauling ass past me at full like that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't even want them to know I'm there. I just want to watch want to watch them fight. It's just like what we were talking about before. If I kill the right buck in um the last week of October and then I'm still going yeah. to go into my spot in November and I'm just gonna sit there and watch the show. The big difference is uh the photographer that's with me will probably be have his bow in the tree. Yeah. And you know, I'll still have my bow in the tree for imagery or whatever, but he'll have his bow in the tree. So when this next buck comes by, I'm like, Hey, like you're up. Right. Yeah. 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 That's it, man. That that's the heart. And I think that's so hard for so many hunters to comprehend because they're just like, well, but the whole point is to kill the deer. No. And it's like, it's not, it's not though. Well, and it is all of it too. Like it's not, and I know you mean this too, Donnie, it's not just the animal. Like you seem to be more, more passion, more focused on the animal itself, which I can totally appreciate. But the, the other elements would be the season itself. And also, you know, some guys are really, I think Jeremy and I are on the land itself, you know, the landscape or whatever, whichever element yeah. of it is, or, or all of them together, like you, you portrayed it as like an oil canvas earlier. And I even said, I think coming on to this podcast here before, dude, it's just, it's, it starts right now. Like for me, it's, it's September. It's like, just, just to, to, to step back and realize the anticipation that we all have and mm -hmm. like the changing of the season, what it's going to do to the animals and what we're all going to be able to participate in, uh, is like, how do you, how do you just slow that down and just, just, just make it last as long as possible to your point about a high goal allows yeah. us, that's our tool to be able to make, make that process last as long as possible, you know, mm -hmm. until the season wraps up and we start it all over again. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, you know, like um, during the rut, is, it always cracks us up. But the photographer that I'm working with right now is a really talented um, guy named Forrest Rowe. And he and I, people think this is – maybe they'll think it's nuts. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But, like, at, during the season, every day we set our alarms for 3 a.m. That's when we get up. <laughs> we get up at 3. One of us usually is, like, cooking pancakes or eggs or whatever it is. We eat our breakfast. We already have our gear together. We eat our breakfast. We drive out to where we're going to park. We slow walk. Um, I wear, um, more often than not, there's a company out of northern Minnesota called um, Steger Mucklucks. I wear Mucklucks mm. when I hunt. So it's a knee-high it's a knee high moose skin or deer skin or whatever boot. Um, but it's basically like wearing a giant leather sock over my foot. So it's super, super quiet to walk, and they're cool. unbelievably warm on a tree stand. Like, if, if you know anyone that gets cold feet when they're sitting on a tree stand like these things, they'll literally never get cold feet again. Interesting. Um, and so like when you walk in, we, we get there early and we walk in and it's just silent, you know, mm. just putting our feet down. We, and we can hear deer running around. Sometimes we hear deer grunting or snort wheezing or whatever. We just pick our way to our tree stand. 
and I go up first or he goes up first and I go up and we get all set and we just sit there, man. We sit mm. there for like an hour and 20 minutes before a legal light yep. and we just sit there sometimes even longer. Sometimes we'll laugh at ourselves because we're just efficient. In the yeah. morning. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll look. It's like an hour and 40 minutes before you can legally shoot and the deer are walking by and they're not busting you. Like even if they get your wind or even if they walk right underneath you, like, Yep. The pitch blackness gives you this anonymity where the deer are like, that's weird. Something's out of place, but I really don't care because it's nighttime and we rule the night. And yeah. so we'll just sit there and then you just get to watch the forest come, come yeah. to life. And because because we walked in an hour and a half ago, nothing's afraid. Right. The birds aren't reacting to us. The possums aren't reacting to us. The raccoons or the deer, nothing's reacting to us and everything is just coming to light. So if a big buck is pushing a doe through a woodlot or squaring up the fight or whatever, like they don't even know we're there. Yeah, man. Like we get to just watch. And our, it's funny because our, our partners or the guys some that are hunting similar or same properties as us, um, they're like, what are you guys like? We leave the house before their alarms go off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't even started the process and we're out the door. Yeah. And uh, they just, every time they're like, what? And then they say, cause they're always like, and these guys are, they're good hunters, but they just enjoy them their time. But they'll be in the local cafe at 9 a.m. Oh, sure. You know, they'll text us like, hey, you guys want to come have breakfast? We're like, no, we're sitting in the dark. And they, they always say, what do you guys do all day <laughs> out there? But if they saw what we saw from 9 a.m. till, like there's not most days when we're in the in the peak of the movement. Most days, we we couldn't even climb down before another big buck is coming. Hmm. Like that that's a reality of it, you know. Is is that there's so much movement. If you're in the if you've done your homework in scouting, yeah. Um, and you guys know who uh, Cody Diaquisto is? Oh yeah, oh yeah. We like Cody a lot. Mm-hmm. Ro- ro- yeah, remarkable deer hunter. He moves around a lot, and we we text a lot during the season. And so, um, he moves around a lot because. And I love a lot how of he mutual does it. If I had, <laughs> what'd you say? I said it's funny yeah, as we, you're talking, we have a lot of mutual friends. <laughs> yeah, so he, so I'll, I'll be like, hey, you know, like he'll, he'll text me a picture of a deer, and he's like, hey, I passed this deer this morning. What do you think? I'm like, you made a mistake. He's like, yeah, I think so too. I'm gonna go back <laughs> in this afternoon and try to find him. You know, and yeah, and um. And then he moves all around, but I'm the type, and I do sometimes move, but I'm much more the type as I try to find the X, mm. and I just stay there all That's day. That's your style. And I like to kind of see the woodlot come to life, whereas um, Cody's like, yeah, this is the X right now, but if it ceases to be the X for the next like 30 minutes, dude, I'm going to the next place. Now, if I had, that's my style. I was a wealthy guy and I had 5,000 acres to hunt or something like that. I might do something like that because yeah. it'd be fun. The other thing is, and he and I have talked about a great length of this. We use such high end camera equipment and lenses. We yeah. can't get away with that. Yeah. We, I, we have a big thing in the tree. Yeah, now that's... we go through, my tree stands are basically like a 20 foot tall ghillie suit. Like I, we go through great lengths to create hides where we hunt, which is why we don't get busted a lot. Yeah. We do. We go through great lengths to try to make sure our wind is dumping into a river oh, yeah. or dropping into a ravine where the deer aren't going to yep. be. We, and that, and that's why these setups are so intense 
yeah. that we only have a couple you of can't them. replicate just, it all over the place yeah. can't and yeah. so um that's what Bodie gets or cody gets away with is that yeah he can go like if i was by myself and i could get 10 feet off a tree oh my god oh yeah. his process if you're not filming his process opens yeah no, that's man. what uh, as i was gonna say that's that my style door? i've i feel in a weird way, obviously, I want to be in a tree, but like during the right time of the year, if I need to get out and move, I feel just as deadly on the ground. I've killed multiple bucks from the ground. Like I just, oh yeah, I just I, if it's time to get aggressive, like I I'm all in. I'll I'll bump a deer just because I'm too aggressive, and then I'll just move to the next one. Mm-hmm. It's just how I me am. too. I could care less. Like the whole scent <laughs> control, like the, all the like do this and like don't step yeah. on a twig. One time I was walking with a photographer. Is the peak rut we're in Missouri. I won't name names, but he has, he was working with a guy that you guys definitely know. And this guy, every time he'd step on a twig, this dude would scream at him. Oh. You know, like, like turn around and be like, dude. Yeah. What? You know? Yeah. And so, like, I was walking, I was walking one time with this guy and I, and he stepped on a twig and, you know, I heard it and I, I more so turned around. To make sure he didn't need my help. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he dropped his backpack. Maybe he dropped his camera. Maybe he just stubbed his toe. Maybe whatever. He broke a branch, and <laughs> I'll never forget this. And I turn around, and he goes, <laughs> he flinches. <laughs> don't, don't I'm so sorry. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, the noise. I go, oh, I go, and why I did this? I have no idea. But I go, I won't do it because poor Nick will, his literally his ears will be bleeding. But I literally go, I'm holding my bow and I just go, dear, 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 as loud as I can scream. And I look back at the guy and he's looking at me, giant eyes, and I go, doesn't matter. Let's go. Like, I'll guarantee you when I was screaming, all the deer probably went like, yeah. And then as soon as I stopped yelling, they were like, yeah, whatever. Cool. Yeah, back. Who cares? Like, if a deer ran from everything, Marjorie taught me this. If a deer ran from everything that it was afraid of, they would run 24 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. And I also learned this with uh, Cody D'Aquisto. And I'm not, he doesn't pay me, but his little lone wolf, whatever the hell it's called, I suck at names. His little lone wolf trail camera is so. Freaking are they good. have they come out like, with oh. those or I don't know. So you you've bought them or Cody's got oh, them. Yeah. They've been out for yeah, a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah, they're for sale. Okay. They've been out for a while. Well, cuz they, they're they're working on a such a new one. They're working on a cell cuz Andre's been telling us for a while. He's like, "Well, there's cell cameras they emit some kind of signal." The yeah, signal. He, they think they scare deer away. So I know they've been working on that, but you're saying they've had like a regular trail camera for some time. Yeah, they have a trail camera called the Lone Wolf or Okay. I think I did like know that. that. We've just never used it. I have a they're rubber they're rubberized and they have a tree bar camo. They're and the video on them undercover you can, is what they're called. Undercover, yeah. you can select wide angle. Yeah, okay. you can. They are so awesome. They talk to your cell phone. They they take such and there's a there's a crosshair on there to like when you're setting them up. You know exactly what it's going to capture. You know exactly what it's going to film. It's so good. But anyway, I set a bunch of those up on a unpicked bean field one time in Wisconsin. There was a lot of snow. I set them up all around this field just to see. And I watched that field. This was a, a really hidden spot. And it would every night it would get like 60 deer in it. And every night, 
like 10 times a night, the field would clear. Mm. Like I'm not hunting it. I'm not there. No right. other human is there, but like 10 times a night, this Just field clear. Would clear. Like if I were going out there, the three of us were going out there hunting and we cleared the field. We very, very well may go. Well, yeah, there it goes. It. Yeah. yeah there it is. Like what else you guys want to do? Night's over with. But, um, and I've heard Andre say this and I've never felt this way. Like I've went in for a, I've went in for a particular buck before and then gotten busted by that buck. And then like, oh man, and I've left. Mm -hmm. And then I started not leaving. I started like, okay, I'll just kind of shift my uh, approach or whatever. And I've heard Andre say before, like he's been going in for a buck and he's had that, like he's bumped that buck and he's like, that buck doesn't know my plan. Yeah. He doesn't know where I'm sitting. He didn't bust me in my tree. He busted me coming in. He doesn't. I'm a coyote. I'm the neighbor. I'm a farmer. I'm a dog. Like he doesn't, yeah, he's no. just running because that's what they do. Right. Yeah. And like, like, um, I had an, I have another guy who you guys will definitely know who, so I won't throw him under the bus, <laughs> but I was hunting with this guy and I won't even name the state. Cause I don't want you guys to figure it out, but I was hunting with this guy in a particular state and, um, it wasn't <laughs> hunting season. It was like July 10th. And I went to this farm and I was going to put out a bunch of trophy rocks and, um, some mineral and like I started entering the bedding area to put up like or at the edge of the bedding area to put up and this guy is like what are you doing <laughs> I said I'm putting out this trophy rock he's like this is the bedding area I said I know I'm just you know like basically I'm trying to create basically a shangri-la for the deer and he was like no 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 this is this is the sacred, sacred ground you don't, don't go, here. Don't go yeah. here yeah and I'm like yeah and so it, I'm like <laughs> it's July 10th he's like doesn't matter. Like we push them out here. They may never come back. I'm like, they're mm -hmm. going to be back here in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like they probably won't even leave. Yeah. Let alone like, th like, where do you think Dude. I would love to know like these guys that preach this, I would love to know where they think deer go. Yeah. Listen to this, dude. This is pretty interesting. We, so Jeremy and I do use cell cameras. We, mm -hmm. we haven't got to the point where we're like, Hey, we can, we could do without them or whatever. We're, maybe we're working in that direction. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Uh, better at it. But, but anyways, it's, it is really useful and to your comment about going back and, and reviewing the information here's one uh -huh. ma major advantage to take it or leave it but like when i get a picture of a deer in that very moment i can look up at this guy i mean I'm, I'm only two hours away from where this camera is i can say okay here's the weather here's what's happening now i can literally check the what the, the wind direction at that very moment and that stuff i have it all okay right now i know he just came through and i can see exactly what's happening yeah. Uh, not necessarily the point that I'm trying to make, but one thing yeah, that's I know what you mean. It's that one little piece of data. It's the same piece of data that I'm telling you about. It's just, you're getting it real time. I get it in January. Uh, yeah. 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 And, and it's this and it's that, but, but to your point about, uh, you know, booger in a bedding area or whatever, I, I have, I, that was me, uh, uh, maybe not that long ago, a couple of years ago, couple I was years. like, we don't even look at the bedding area, you know, <laughs> don't, yeah. don't even walk don't up, don't, don't drive do the anything. road next to it type of video. Yeah. And I realized yeah. over time that, you know, that was silly. Um, so, so I've gotten much more aggressive and we go in and one thing that I have found interesting, we haven't talked about this a whole lot is more times than not, when I push into an area where I'm like, I'm probably going to bump this buck. I, I know he's like in here. Um, I, I don't necessarily see him, but I'll get that camera set and then I'll leave. And that night right away, he'll come back he'll come and, in. and I'll, and, and there he'll be, you know, and I'll know he never yeah. left that bedding. Sometimes it's even before dark. Yep. It's like, he knew I yeah. was there. He hunkered down. He wanted to come check it out. He came to see what was going on. And I may not get another picture of that. Like the only reason he came yeah. to that spot was because I was there and he was curious. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's, I have buddies of mine. Andre tells a story. I don't know if you guys know us where he was hunting this giant deer that was bedding up against a dog kennel. Has he ever told you that? Is this the one that was like, what do you say? It was roaring at him from the ridge or something? Maybe potentially, but it's like, he's like literally these or dogs want to kill this buck, but this is where this buck would bed. And then I have buddies of mine in um, Southern Minnesota that own a large, very large motocross track. Okay. And they're not, they're not hunters at all. And both these guys are professional motocross racers. Who are they? And, uh, the, uh, Jeremy, uh, Martin and Alex Martin. Yeah. Okay. I don't know them personally, but I used to race yep. motocross growing up. So. Okay. Right on. Same, same. I, I raced for years Word. on the East coast, but, but these guys will tell me like a giant buck will bed next to their track. I yeah. mean, like r- to where literally they've told me like they're going around the track and the dirt from their bike is landing on the back of this deer. <laughs> and he is literally, they said they'll just be ripping past him and he literally he won't even look at him. Like his back, the track is his safe zone. Wow. Yeah. Right. He, he knows, knows a coyote's a not coming there. from the racetrack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so like, you know, and that's all these guys, I'm not telling you need to go run around your property, but, um, you know, I leased a property here in Wisconsin for years. I lost it last year, but the, the property owner, when I was leasing it from him, he's like, Hey, um, like four times a year he had two daughters. He's like four times a year. I like to like walk around the field with my daughters. I was like, okay, cool. He's like, is that cool? And I go, yeah, totally. And he's like, well, the guy that leased it previously told me like, absolutely not no access. Like you can't use your property at all. And Mm. I was like, okay, well that's really dumb. Cause like, unless I'm out here. Yeah. And even if I am out here, if I'm out here and you're literally like, Hey, I'm going to go for a walk. Yeah. Okay, great. I just don't get hung up on that stuff uh, anymore. And, and uh, yeah, I'm just, I just want to be in the woods. I want to do my homework on the front end. I want my air, I want my wind to be dumping off if I can. We, we all know that sometimes we have to take major risks. Um, but I want, my, I want my scent dumping off into some place. I want to actually drag branches up into the tree because I want to create as much cover around me as possible. And I just want to sit and watch the show. And if yeah. I'm lucky enough to get a shot at a mature deer that's close, or even a young deer that's close, if I if I happen to want to kill a um a young buck or whatever, and um which it doesn't happen, I, I say that, but it doesn't happen. I would much rather shoot a doe. Sure. But if I, I whatever it is, if I get a shot, or you know, sometimes especially with my longbow, one of the things that I've noticed that I do um, sometimes when I'm hunting is I'll shoot at squirrels. And uh, last year I shot at a squirrel uh and missed it and my arrow sticking in the ground and then i had a really big buck like a really big buck come up and my arrow sticking in the ground and this isn't a deer that we want to shoot because he's young he's four years old he's freaking mega and um he came up and like literally he literally sat there for 15 minutes and licked my arrow yeah you should lick the fletchings lick the knock and lick the whole shaft lick the whole thing for 15 minutes you shoot squirrels with uh uh with your broadheads yeah, you do. So here, here's yeah, my. Yeah, I should probably get some judo points, but I do. Yeah. Well, here's here's my like thought because I like shooting squirrels too, but but I don't want to like, you know, whatever it is, whether it actually is or not, I don't want to screw things up. So I'm like, I have to, yeah. I have a, a rule for myself. So like, I obviously have my, I do, I have like a mechanical broadhead that I hunt with while I'm deer hunting, and if I see a yep. squirrel that I want to shoot that's like strikes my fancy or whatever, my rule is that I have to take that arrow off and put it in my quiver, and I always have a field point arrow with me mm-hmm. and so that's 
nine times out of ten, by the time I get it switched over, it's yeah. the opportunity is lost, and and it's a good thing because I'm like, okay, it's good because mm-hmm. he got away, so now I'm, I'll move back. <laughs> yeah, and I do. So I shoot arrows every single day from the tree stand, not when I get there. When you get down, but when I'm getting into because of filming light, because of the cameras that we use, like the last ten minutes. 15 minutes i can't really we really can't get right. the imagery that we need for our work we really can't get it um so i'll shoot my arrows then but i'll just pick out like an osage orange that's like 25 yards or a leaf or and i always shoot my arrows back to where we have to leave i'm not shooting into yeah. my hunting right. area to where I'll you're turn going around out. in my tree stand yeah i'll shoot we'll pick funny things out and try to like get down on a knee and shoot um those things but i like to shoot three or four arrows before i leave the tree stand just because it re-solidifies and then i um the place that we stay when i am hunting in illinois i also have an antelope target set up in our great room and i'll literally shoot like across the living room while everyone's watching tv or oh, yeah. cooking dinner or whatever oh, yeah. so like yeah very I do cool that too. i have that that uh reinhardt target set mm-hmm. up in my office so usually when i'm working like during the day i'll just turn around and shoot 10 arrows shoot a couple. In, in my office yeah. five yards yeah mm-hmm. it's nice it's, it's really important but yeah that's cool that's cool well, dude, we uh, we stole your your morning from you, but man, we really appreciate you coming on and and talking with us. It's it's Jared and I. Really, the point of this podcast for us was just to find people that share the passion like we do. Like, it's you know, they're out there, right? Uh, obviously, you're one of them. But it it just seems like you well, know sometimes with today's society, it's not as easy to to connect. Well, I, I was really excited for this one just because I know from your films, like, you know, you do an excellent job of getting across the, the passion that Appreciate you have that. Like for all the things that mm-hmm. we've talked about, just, the, you know, the essence of the season, right. And, and of the harvest and, and all those things that like, we, we just, we, you know, we, uh, whatever it is, we, we memorialize, we You're fully embody. We, yeah. Just embrace, we're chasing after like, and so I, I was super excited to be like, man, we're just going to experience that like w- with Donnie. So I, I think we definitely <laughs> we did. did today. We so, did. Yeah, if anything, we come away from this as there's going to be a River's Divide 2, and we're all kind of on edge of when it's going to come out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of gnarly that we've waited this long, but um, I appreciate that, you guys. And it's for me, it's uh, I'm just trying to slow the season down. Like I used to go, I used to stack my hunts, and I would, you know, like, and I, I remember used to telling people, and I'm not getting down on you guys. I love the fact that you guys are hunting multiple states. I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, and something that I'll get to in the future, but um, I used to just go state to state to state, and I was always in a rush, and I always was hating what I was doing to where now I'm slowing things down, and I'm just trying to slow the season down as much as possible, whether I'm goose hunting or duck hunting or deer hunting or hunting caribou. Like, I just want to slow mm-hmm. uh, slow things down and, and experience them as much as possible. And, and, uh, and, and you know, the hunting season – or hunting industry and people in general. It's not the hunting industry. We always say the hunting industry. It's people in general. Um, everything is trying to, everyone wants a shortcut to fame and fortune. Yeah. Everyone wants a shortcut to get their dream job. Everyone wants to get a shortcut. Shoot the biggest bite possible. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, uh, I really think if people understood uh, mindfulness, which is not just a fancy term or a hot term right now people really understood presence. They really understood this idea of entropy, uh, this, this continued state of disorder. Like we are, we're dying right now. We're not living. People have to tell you you're living. You're not, you're dying right now. Your cells are going through a cellular state of decay right now. 
the table I'm sitting at is rotting. Your car is rusting. All of this stuff is going through decay right now. So the the quicker we're able to take a small half step backwards, it's impossible to live your life as though you're dying. It's impossible. People mm-hmm. say that like, hey, it's impossible to do that. Every one of us has um, responsibilities. If if the four of us knew that we had uh, terminal illness or knew that uh, we had 24 hours to live or whatever, we wouldn't be on this podcast. There's no way we'd be doing any right. of this. Um, we would be s- spending time with really, really close friends and family. And so... Um, it's impossible to live your life in that manner, but but you can come damn close to that, and you can really be honest with yourself, be honest with your wives, your girlfriends, your sons and daughters, your parents, your uh, your friends, and really start to focus in on the things that you want to do and how you want to spend your days and the way in which you want to do this. And I think in slowing this kind of this process down and really understanding that you don't have to do things in life that you necessarily don't want to do or you don't have to necessarily do them because this is how society says you're going to do them. You really can take a step back and harness this time. People always like to talk about um, our life expectancies. You know, men are living to 74, women to 76 or whatever it is now. And really, that's that's a, that's a fallacy because most of the people are just being kept alive. It's not that we're living longer mm. as human beings. Like you'll hear Joe Rogan will say, you know, this is the longest we've ever lived. We're living longer than we ever have. The medical care is the best it's ever been. Well, I would argue um, he's absolutely correct. But I would also argue that like in experiencing what we experienced last year with COVID, that I would say that medical care has never been a bigger business and a bigger and a bigger farce than it's ever been in this, in this last couple of years. And that, And we're really what we're doing is we're dying slower. That's all we're doing. We are so worried about dying. We're so worried about, um, we don't take care of ourselves. We're not pushing weights. We're not eating correctly. We're not um, challenging ourselves in the wilderness and really living our lives to the fullest. We're trying to minimize our peaks and valleys um, and we're, we are sneaking, um, bad food to kind of give ourselves little wins and little rewards all the time because real life, real hardship is too hard to embody. And so we just kind of have this slow poison degradation of health. We don't feel like warriors at all. And we don't feel like men. We don't feel like women. We don't feel like contributors. We don't feel like hunters. And I just think if people really start to look at what they eat, how they move their bodies, what they think about really, what is your next deer hunt? me not 200 inches not six and a half year old not those steaks on the grill but really what are you going to embody today when the sun comes up and the animals that you're going to see the birds you're going to see the tree species that you're going to be in the little tiny things if you look at all these little details the closer you come to something the more interested it becomes to you and to the people around you if you really start to embody that time i really think your experience no matter what the outcome is going to become elevated mm-hmm. yeah. So I appreciate being asked to be on here with you guys. It's very flattering. Um, um, it's weird to me to have a career to do this type of stuff, but um, it's really flattering to be asked to be on your podcast. And I re- very much appreciate the time. You didn't waste my morning. I think we had a great conversation, and I feel um, you know my day's gonna be better for it. Well said, man. We appreciate it as well. I mean, dude, one thing we can all like just count our blessings for that we're super fortunate for, but also I would say 
you know, all three of us probably have fought tooth and nail for because we, we all have, like you said, responsibilities. Like, you know, we have spouses or, you know, kids or, you know, jobs to maintain, mm-hmm. you know, th- things that need, you know, uh, that we have to perform for so that other people c- can benefit and stuff is, but, but through all of that, you know, we've prioritized or realized that this hunting season, this hunting experience is like one of the most in- important things, you know, in our lives, you know, f- for us to continue living experience, actual, um, you know, whatever I'm trying to say there. Uh, and so we have worked so hard during throughout our lives and, and especially during like what you would call the off season or whatever. So that when the time comes for us, and I, I would allude to, there was like a time where dude, and it's not just you, but it was mm-hmm. you and I, like when we were working so hard to build a business or fulfill these obligations that it's like, man, October just slipped by oh, and, it and it's like, we did fast. It's like, we didn't even hunt. And then you look back on that and you're like, how did I go in October without hunting? Like, how is it possible that I allowed for that to happen? And sometimes it does have to happen. I mean, responsibilities, mm-hmm. you know, they do need to be there. But there was like, a time I took pride in hunting, not hunting until October 23rd and killing my buck that first, you know, right. hanging hunt. And it was like, right. man, that was super successful. And, and maybe it's the older I get, but it's like all the time I missed. And what was really important was just being in the woods, you know, sitting those mornings before daylight, like my, I felt like my hearing was at six levels above what it was. Any, I'm listening to this crack over here, a little bit of, was that a grunt here? And it's, those are the things that, you know, I was focused on the end goal, which was, you know, tag the buck. And I sat out on the bench for weeks waiting for the opportunity where really it was the experience that would have, you know, filled my cup essentially. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. That's it, man. 100%. Well, we appreciate it, Donnie. Thanks so much for coming on and, and look forward to what you and Sick Man are going to be putting out here over, you know, the next few months and years and, and keep us updated, obviously, on your your kind of adventures this year for sure. Absolutely. Thanks, boys. And you too. Uh, let me know how you guys do um, in North Dakota. And, and well, uh, I'm really I'm really curious of the, the kinds of uh, animals and things that you'll see. We'll keep you posted, man, for sure. Okay, cool. Very cool. All right, dude. And awesome. Very cool. Yeah, it's uh, we we're just kind of talking offline. Obviously, what a, what a mysterious figure, Donnie Vincent. Well, it's so funny because <laughs> you know I don't know. Obviously, I know Donnie from In the best way possible from you know Rivers. If you haven't watched Rivers Divide and you're a whitetail guy, watch it. It's awesome. Yes, you're gonna have to pay for it. Precursor there. It's it's well worth it. You're gonna watch it multiple times a year because it's just a good story. The scenery the 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 deer interactions you have like uh, everything about it is just it's a cool thing to experience but other than that like i would say up until maybe a, a year or two ago like i didn't really know much about donnie um you know and then all of a sudden it was like oh he's on what he was on the cover of like men's health or something too i think so like yeah. and obviously he's been on rogan and like there's like all these things and it's just like you know who is donnie vincent mm-hmm. donnie who is Donnie? Donnie. Well, he's done a lot of different stuff, I think. Like, even, you know, early in our conversation, we were trying to, you know, kind of pinpoint. And it's like, it doesn't sound like there's any one species or any one, like, he's just very much a lover of, like, the, the process of all of it. And I think the filming is probably a major, a yeah, major part. Yeah, the photography and filming side, obviously the sick mana stuff. And um, he, I, I did, I guess I didn't realize that sick mana did that much stuff. That's his main, yeah, that's. That's Donnie's business. Is is yeah. Is content well, and I knew that obviously from like him doing his feature films. Yeah, right. But I didn't know that they did that much business in the industry until all of a sudden I I, I was oh, looking yeah. at Sikmana's profile. A I saw the shields and the True Velocity stuff. And when you see the quality of the work, 
you're like, oh, that makes Top sense. Tier, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So, but yeah, it, it's kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, knowing that stuff. And then what's cool about that is hearing like, he's got all, all of this feature film potential. Like it's already in the can, mm-hmm. ready to go. And it's, I guess I just didn't anticipate that from him. Like having that film that just hadn't been released, edited oh, yeah. and released. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, anybody that's like in his position that spends so much time in the field filming, it's like, you're going to have stories that are untold, you know, and that's, that's good. You know, they I sit th- there until the time's right. And yeah, I think the interesting thing with him and we're seeing this with certain people, uh, Warb in the hunting public to a point, Bomar being one, uh, DeQuisto being another is like, these guys are very much, um, admired in the industry. They do great content, great work, very entertaining. And they're pulling away from the mainstream industry, right? Like Donnie doesn't have, I mean, I'm sure he has some partners, but he doesn't have, he's not like, oh, I'm sponsored by X and X and X and X. Like, well, I think it's in all aspects too. Like you hear it a lot with, you know, the cell cameras or even, uh, weapon of choice or whatever like donnie's maybe on an extreme example but, but there is kind of a, a general consensus against or across i think the industry or guys that are super passionate about this is that we've we've maybe in some ways gone too far like we've mm-hmm. uh, we've we've stepped the bounds certainly on the ind- industry aspect i mean there was a, a quite a distaste for like the, the way partnerships were done for a while but also with hunting itself you know in terms and, of the technologies and the weapons and the right. what liberalizations we right. talked so i about. think there's a, a healthy like questioning happening right now uh you know and it's in the face of people wait like oh we're losing hunters at a rapid mm. rate but uh, you know whatever you know it, i think it's healthy to like assess for ourselves like wh- mm. why we're doing this what is the real objective of hunting mm. you know and how do we want to that's how, where how, we, how, how we want to move forward i think that's where we connected with donnie on this thing is that um, we're, we're spiraling, spiraling around this experience. Like then if, you know, this is coming out September 5th, the next four months for sure, we want to see success, but the experience of the next four months is what we live for. That's it, man. And I, and I think the longer we do it, the more that we embrace it, like the success is being able to experience it as completely and for as long a time as possible. Yeah. And selfishly, that's one of the the coolest things about this podcast for you and I is those experience come back and we're able to share it with anybody listening or, or watching this thing. Yeah. And not all of them are going to be success stories. It could be this happened or this happened or we did this or we saw this, but it's, it's that experience that gets us through. I, I thought his last kind of closing statement there, at least to me, and, and I'm getting older than you guys, obviously, but that that time standpoint is uh that you're dying well yeah yeah <laughs> that I, every day i'm i'm dying but it it's that slowdown of time we've talked about it before and it's like you can't do it like there there are definitely days and it's you know it's even with my kids getting older and stuff like i feel like i've got both feet in the dirt and i'm just getting pushed forward mm. yeah i can't stop it i can't slow it down mm. um and so when you get to these seasons that are 3 4 months in some cases it's like you know october 1 to november 15th for archery really and that's it for, for us. It's like, how do you slow down that six weeks to to not feel like, damn it, like another one just slipped by me? Because there aren't that many in a lifetime, you know? Yeah. And, and to his point, yeah, maybe we are living the 74, but, you know, whatever it is, it put, put a point on it, 60, 65. At some point, you are not as efficient as a functioning hunter as you used to be, yeah. right? The, the seasons start to slip away from you and your ability to hunt like you want to hunt aren't going to be there. Mm. And so it's like, you know, 
how do you put your feet in the ground to slow it enough to where you really enjoy that October 1st to November 15th. And you feel like when you get past that, you're never going to feel like, uh, you know, perfectly satisfied, but you get to Thanksgiving and you're like, man, I, I just, it's been a great year. I like, yeah. I love that versus reflecting back and saying, Ugh, I wish, right. Cause that's the regret that nobody wants to live with. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, um, I think it's easy to want to fast forward through like, I don't know, quote unquote, the bad stuff or, or stuff. we talk about it all the time. Like, uh, summer, I wish we could just fast forward to October. I know. And I think like in the, in the same vein of, you know, slowing it down, people want to think that, well, yeah, obviously the good stuff we want to slow down, the bad stuff we want to speed through. Mm -hmm. But I think in reality, like you're better off to embrace all of it, you mm -hmm. know, wholeheartedly. Like, you know, bad, bad things will come or, or whatever yeah. it is that's, uh, you know, d d deducting or, you know, you want to obviously try to minimize those sure. and improve as time goes along. But the realization that it really is, you know, the, the struggle and like, you know, it, it's the wait for a season to come. It's the bad things that happen leading up to you or, or going through it um, that make the experience so complete. Like mm -hmm. if, if your whole ride through the hunting season is highs, can they really be that high? No. I, you know, I would contest that they can't, they you know, can't. without, without the lows, they can't. you know? Yeah. And so it's the highs and the lows that make the experience complete. Mm-hmm. Um, so embrace all of it. Yeah. Well, I think that's well said. And obviously, September 5th, it's time. By the time you're listening to this, you know, uh, I'll be on a plane coming back from North Dakota. You Definitely. will have had an opening weekend with the kids in Kentucky. Yeah, unless something shows up and dad decides to come. Or I can go with my recurve. Yeah. I, I don't know. How do you do. feel? Are you, you have cameras? I mean, you're not talking a whole lot about let's secretive nick Ooh. no but most of the cameras are dead or yeah i've got cameras <laughs> dead no i i mean i've got like, a do lot you think you've got some deer to hunt on opening day or yeah i've got one for sure maybe that two. eight point that's kentucky that's behind the cabin though right yeah the one behind the cabin's a five-year-old uh there should be a, a really really nice buck back there with him and i haven't seen him yet but i also don't have like uh, you know for better or worse uh i i haven't done any feeding or yeah, I guess it's not baiting because we're not hunting. I haven't sure. done any feeding like on any of my properties. I've mm -hmm. planted food. Um, so that's probably like I just have some mineral out. Mm -hmm. um, so typically by now, like I've got I've had feeders or corn piles running and like I'm I'm inventorying. I really haven't had a chance to do that. I've just been busy. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, I've got at least one in Kentucky, possibly, you know, if I'm shooting my recurve, that really tall nine points probably getting smacked. He, he's not making it by me. Um, I'd love to see him make it another year. I'm not going to tell the kids not to shoot him either, or Emily. That's but like five year old nine. You're talking that's about? that four year old nine. I think he's four. Okay, a real tall one. We went back and we're like, yeah, he had to be three last year. Okay. Um, and then in in Ohio, it's kind of wild. I, I I'm not going to share all the details yet because as per, part of this podcast, it probably hasn't worked out. But I'm I'm making some moves to expand the property in Ohio right now to add on to it, and I've got timber timbering happening probably at the same time. So Ohio is kind of up in the air a little bit in terms of what I have. I know I've got, I've showed you that one, but I got one really good, like super wide, probably mid one forties, eight. That's a tank. Uh, I'm sure there's other big deer in there. Again, that place, I'm not, I'm not running bait and I'm not, I have like one camera active right now. I just mm -hmm. haven't been down there. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of coming to it a little bit blind. Um, 
but I know what deer made it through. And so I'm pretty confident that they'll, you know, they'll show or, or I'll be able to get on them here at some point, but I, I'm highly anticipating it, it, whether I start the season with it or I get into October, I, I'm going to be using my recurve at least 50% of the time this year. Wow. Um, that's my plan. At least I just, I feel like I need to root myself back a little bit and maybe it's because of the technologies and stuff that I've really been diving into the last, um, few years that I've, I've, I think I stepped over the line and maybe I'm taking too big of a jump back by going to a recurve or something, but something about that traditional challenge and kind of, I did it late season a couple of times and I just, I felt better about my being in the stand. Like even if I wasn't going to shoot one, just the experience of with a recurve and like challenge of being out there, like I felt like I was hunting again. Yeah. And that made sound weird to some people because we talk about, you know, food plots and cameras and everything we do. But, um, there, there's definitely an aspect that over the last couple of years, I think personally I've missed, which is the actual hunt and pursuit. And that's what I love so much about it. I think it's easy to take yourself too seriously, maybe yeah. during the hunting seat. Like I'm definitely guilty of it. You know, just, just taking your, everything that you've done, all of your, just your hunting in general, taking mm -hmm. it too seriously. You know, I think it's, um, yeah, it is, you know, th there's time to be serious mm -hmm. and it's, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you're, you're taking an animal's life ultimately, so it should be taken seriously. Sure. Um, you know, but what I mean is, is more like, I think there's a lot of enjoyment, like you're saying, out of stepping back, not taking yourself or your, your approach toward deer hunting so seriously and trying to just focus more on enjoying it and, well, and having fun while you're doing I it. I think I'll hunt more this year. The, the, we've talked about it, but the last few years I've hunted very much based on the information from my cameras. And maybe subliminally, that's one reason I don't have cameras running as aggressively right now as I normally would, is that that kept me out of the woods more than it kept me in the woods. Mm -hmm. And so I think I miss that. And so this year, I'm going to run cell cams and I'm going to have real-time data, but I'm not, when I have the chance to go hunt or the conditions are right, I'm going to go hunt. I'm not going to let it keep I, me out. I would venture to say, and I'm hopeful that like our, you know, when it comes to killing deer, like I think our success this year is going to be higher because of that. Take that to the bank, Nick. October second. No, I'm just kidding. That was that was me calling my shot. Isn't that crazy? Did, what I was saying. I haven't there? seen. Oh, I'll have to watch that for Lee. We're yeah, gonna get Lee. We gotta was, get Lee on. First yeah, for off. sure. It was really interesting. Like how I just per, my perception about how I thought about that. Like the statement. He's like, if it's mm -hmm. on the hit list, like it's done. Wow, that's done. Yeah, and, and I he, don't and know. He said it not in arrogance, but in I know, confidence. I know. I know. And, and he's sincere. And he's so good about it. I I don't know. That that's the point where. I would figure out how to put myself back at a disadvantage because when I'm that efficient at it, I don't know if I'd enjoy it as much. Well, yeah. What guaranteed thing is, is any fun or worthwhile? You know, and, that's and, what we've been talking about with this whole opportunity and liberalization is that the, the more, the closer it gets to being guaranteed, the less passionate I think you can become about and, it. And, and, and not, not as a knock or, or pin on Lee. Obviously. And we haven't had him on to, you know, speak his piece. So, but I mean, I, he's a super smart guy. I'm yeah. sure he's actively same with Mark. considering We've had Mark the same Curry thing on. we're talking same. about. Yeah. It's just, how do you, what's going to drive Where you, do you to go the next level? That, that's the ultimate, If like, you've achieved perfection. Surgical, yeah, just execution. Like, you know, it's, you know, you're going to, it's going to happen. To your point, where's, where's the bad? That's all good. Right. Like, it's flatlined. Like, you've plateaued. Yeah. At some point, you have to set well, yourself it, back. There, there's just no, there's nowhere else to go. There's no higher, you know, you can compare it back to like your uh, DeQuesto conversation about chasing your 200, chasing score type of deal. Like there's these different legs or avenues that you can go down it's, and you can reach a point where it's mm -hmm. like, it's, it's, it will happen, you know, 
like your just execution is so good at it and you have to go back and like you know reinvent yourself almost or fi find a new avenue or just get back to the root well, well i think that's where it comes back to and part of my recurve chasing the experience mm -hmm. i'm now chasing experience yes i'm still trying to kill a giant buck and a mature buck but i'm i'm doing it by chasing the experience yeah. and you can do it it's not like you have to change something drastically you don't have to go to a new piece of property i think i think just changing your mindset mm -hmm. you know and then going back into the same piece of woods or same you know whatever it is maybe yep. you do remove some some things here or whatever yeah but i think mindset going into a season or you know can change throughout the season probably has everything Huge. to do with it we're in it now here we go here we go all right uh awesome conversation with donnie vincent appreciate donnie coming on uh, donnie. donnie and uh episode 143 right nick mm -hmm. not too far from 150 crazy to think getting there crazy to think so anyways we appreciate everybody uh listening the support like nick said uh fact that we're growing our numbers like we are on youtube and thank you guys uh, for tiktok yeah, and instagram sincerely. we appreciate the following yeah. super super appreciative of everyone and and in the comments obviously you know uh, jared and i try to dive into some of those as much as we can but frankly we're just busy and honestly you guys overwhelm us sometimes with comments and it's like oh, i don't even know what to continue to write in we yeah. appreciate it and we'll yeah we yeah. do pay attention to them it, it, so don't if we don't actually respond to it we are seeing them we do appreciate the the engagement and uh yeah we will see y'all next week later it's take me oh.